this is Urasawa Boys, the podcast where we read and discuss the works of manga author and artist Naoki Urasawa. Right now, we're reading Pluto, and Pluto has some dark and troubling topics and themes. A full list of content warnings is going to be available in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. I'm Samuel Quinn Morris. I'm Matt Fennell. Welcome back to Urasawa Boys. Welcome to 2024. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, It is kind of crazy to be back. I can't believe it. I was, um, Quinn and I were talking before we started recording about um, kind of how long it's been. The record date on our last episode was October 19, I believe. Uh, we're in yeah. 2024 now. We're different people. Yeah. It's 2024, <laughs> Matt, coming to you. There you go. Uh, Matt, I don't know about you, but did you also have this this like general feeling like it was a miracle we finished Monster and that oh, there absolutely. was a solid chance we'd never record another episode again? Quinn, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. There was a piece of me. I was midway through the Monster Run where I was like, hey, we're going to make it to the end of this one. And then I'm going to have to tell Quinn, I can't right, do any more. Right? Fucking, oh, wow. Wow, really? Was, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what prompted that. But I was like, we'll finish this one. And then I'll come up with like a nice little farewell that I do. And that, uh-huh. and that will be it. But I'm so glad that's not the case and that we are back. Better than ever. I know. And it is, I think the thing that did it for me the thing that really like made me go from I don't know if I can do this to we're gonna do this was when I realized that we needed to do this episode on the greatest robot on earth and not on the first volume of Pluto. Okay. Um, and specifically it was when I reread, it was when I read the story uh, for this and I was just like, okay, I haven't been doing any work for way too long, I feel like Matt has Matt has been really good about being on me for trying to to do stuff, and I just haven't been taking the notes. I've been it's ah, been an been interesting all over the role place. reversal because for it a while really it was has. like Matt, yeah. hey, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And then this at the end of the year, I was like, hey, I want to read Pluto, and if we're not going to do this, yeah. I'm just going to read it over the break. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for not doing that. No, uh, yeah, of course. I We need to maintain the dynamic, which, you know, if you're tuning in now, if this is the first episode of Urasawa Boys that you're listening to, be. you need to be aware that the dynamic is Quinn is the guy who knows stuff, and I'm the guy who doesn't. So. Yeah, well, to be fair, I'm the guy who kind of knows stuff, because the last time I've read all this stuff was like a while ago, and sure. so a lot of the details are are very hazy so i'm kind of half in and half out okay uh which i think is which i think is funny it's the same level of remembrance that i had for monster which is you remember was like a solid 60 percent. we got to some parts and you're like hey yeah did not remember that Mm. this was in here (laughs) yeah um but yeah so just reading this story reading the original tezka story that uh that urasawa adapted it just is really good. Like, like to just straight up and down. It's fucking good. Um, it's good. And, and it's also really fun. You know, something that uh, me and Matt both like talking about that we didn't actually get a, a huge opportunity to talk about last season was adaptations. 
We love mm -hmm. adaptations as a concept. We think it's really cool to talk about how to adapt things, what you choose to retain, what you choose to change. And it's kind of hard to think of a more extreme example of adaptation in the world of manga and anime than uh, Naoki Orosawa's Pluto. Um, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say something about adaptation real quick before we take a step back and kind of explain what we're doing for people who, who maybe don't know or, or kind of aren't. Um, oh, I can't remember the phrase that, that Danny uses on ranged touch um, when they talk about Magic the Gathering, uh, when he <laughs> talks about uh, people who are invested versus people who aren't. Um, but regarding adaptation, um, yeah, I, I love it on Just King Things where they talk about how they would adapt King books, you know, what they would do differently in movies, things like that. Um, just all the range touch projects are generally pretty good about talking about adaptation and have opened my brain as to thinking about that a lot. Um, I'm going to talk very quickly about a movie that came out between when we recorded our last episode and now, which is, and Quinn, I've, I've messaged you a little bit that? about this. Well, it's, it's the newest Hunger Games movie, which is a, oh. a, a prequel. Oh my God. It was, um, a new, there was a new Hunger Games movie. Yeah, it's great. I've seen it twice. God. It's three and a half hours long, which is too long for a movie, but, um, it's too, it, it's too long for any movie, much less a Hunger, a Hunger Games, Games movie. prequel. Yeah. So the reason that it's so long is because there's a last third of that movie that is after the Hunger Games that honestly, I think is like the best third of that movie. Uh, but so it's is, one of those, it's one of those things where like, there's one part of the story they want to tell, but then yes. they have to do the rest. Because it it's a Hunger sense. Games, you have to do the mm -hmm. first two yeah. thirds to get yeah, to the no. thing at the end. I know exactly what you mean. That it happens. It it happens. I, I think we've talked about it in Urasawa's uh, work before. Actually, when there's a piece of art and there's like one thing in it, and you're like, that one thing is why they made this. Like, yeah, they made like in this the prison whole break sequence. I think that the, I think that in the prison break sequence, the the Pulp Fiction couple that gets run over is like the best part of right, that. Right. It's like we did all of this so we could yeah. get to that sequence. <laughs> so we could get this. But anyways, yeah, yeah. um, so the Hunger Games movie. Uh, there was a there was a prequel novel to the Hunger Games that the original author released back in 2020, um, and I read it like as soon as it came out. Really, really enjoyed it. I have very complicated feelings about the Hunger Games. I read them in high school, like as the movies were coming out. Really enjoyed them. Got embarrassed about that during college, and then when the prequel book came out, I read that one and remembered like, okay, why was this something that I enjoyed, something that I liked? So the movie has just now come out. I guess like three years after the novel did. Um, this, That's this a pretty quick movie. turnaround. Yeah, no, no, it was. And I honestly, I think the movie is very good. If you like The Hunger Games, I would recommend you go see it. Um, I also think that it is like the most one-to-one -one adaptation of a book to a movie that I've ever seen. Like it's one of the only times where the way that I imagined something, like I don't have a very good visual imaginary. Part of mm -hmm. it is like I struggle. I'm like some sort of low level of face blindness. Um, which is like a, a different thing that we can <laughs> yeah. get into later. But I struggle with kind of um, visualizing things. But there's some sequences in the book that how they were adapted in the movie was like exactly how I pictured them. Wow. And part of that is like how I was imagining it came from the movies that were released. And, you know, this one is drawing yeah, on helps. the movies that had come before. Um, but one of the things that the movie loses, um, because all of those books are written in first person, um, like all, all of them. So that gets lost in every single movie adaptation of these books. And there is a, there is what some people would term a, like a character turn 
um, that feels very surprising if you don't have the 300 pages of, of running monologue. Um, mm. And there's just not really oh. a good way to yeah, adapt that. Yeah, you can try and represent that through acting as much as you fucking like, but... Yeah, you can't do internal monologue in a movie. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know. I'm sure there's movies that have done it. You probably can in another franchise. I just don't think, like, stylistically, that's not exactly how the Hunger Games films work. No, they're not. And you can't do it in this sort of one-to-one adaptation that they were doing. So I have been thinking a lot about adaptive choices. And I've talked to some people about it since seeing the movie. I've seen it twice now, like I said. Um, And... I think it's really interesting the way that they adapted it. I'm not sure how I would have done it differently to avoid kind of that sort of shocking turn mm-hmm. that both of the groups that I went to see it with said the same thing. Like, you know, it felt a little sudden. It felt like this or that. And I think that the response of, well, if you'd read the book, you'd understand is like lame sauce, hate that, whatever. You know, I, I think when you're doing an adaptation, yeah. you need to account for that. That's not on you know joe schmo's fault for going to see the movie without having read the book yeah you fucking Um, idiot what are you even doing here uh so that's a long way of saying um (laughs) we like thinking about adaptation adaptation i think we're gonna be doing it a lot more uh, welcome to hungry boys the the subset series yeah where i Um, talk about how much i love the hunger games (laughs) um but i think we're gonna talk about adaptation a lot right because we're we're gonna watch the anime this season yes which was not a thing we did last time no, and I don't think it was possible. It's a lot more doable for a sixty like episodes this. is harder than ten. It was seventy-two. I'll have you oh. know. Um, yeah, but here it is. Eight. It's eight episodes. Uh, uh, real quick. Here's my. Here's here's the movie that if we were doing a podcast about oh, yeah, yeah, movie yeah. adaptations, it's this is. See, you talked about your YA love. Here's you gotta do mine. Yours. Here's mine. Mortal Engines. Can I get some, you know, if any, if any of our listeners, Mortal Engines fans, fucking represent, you're exactly right. Uh, And just what I have to say about that movie, visually, uh, they mostly nailed it. Designs were good. Colors were non-existent. They needed to be more colorful. Uh, But the worst thing about that movie is the fact that they changed a bunch of stuff in the story for no reason because they took stuff that was in the book out of the book and replaced it with new stuff that took the exact same amount of time. Uh, and mm. it just made everything worse. The way they ended the movie basically ensured that none of the rest of the books could have been adapted. So I just don't know what the fuck they were thinking. It was, no, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Uh, Matt made a face is why I, Interesting. Is why I said that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, Mortal Engines, um, I actually, with another one of my friends, Xander, uh, if I ever have the time of my life, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a podcast like this oh, for I'd the Mortal Engines books. Yeah. Uh, because I I need a reason to talk about them for hours. They are uh, so much better than anyone uh, fucking understands, and they're they're criminally criminally underknown. Uh, so anyway, that's that's what I have to say about that. Uh, let's my God. Let's hey, let's talk, talk about what about we're doing here with this episode doing. zero of yes. our Pluto season. Yeah, greatest robot on Earth. So, okay, it's a season on Pluto. Now, for those of you who don't know, right, let's, let's just give the overview. Pluto is a series by Naoki Urasawa that is actually an adaptation of a storyline from Astro Boy. Um, also known as Mighty Atom, 
or Tetsuan Atom, which was a series that ran from 1952 to 1968 by the venerable Osamu Tezuka. And if you don't know that name, you should, because Osamu Tezuka is essentially... Essentially? Essentially, there we go. You could put a year um, I, maybe he was a sensual man. It's hard to say. Um, <laughs> who is essentially the single most influential person in the manga and animation world. Or anime, not animation, but also very influential in animation. Um, without his immense body of work and... Uh, and the length of time and the amount of effort that he put into the manga and anime industries, neither of them would remotely resemble what we recognize today. Right? He's a big fucking deal. Uh, in Japan, he is called Manga no Kami, which means god of comics. Not god of manga like Japanese comics, just god of comics, period. Right? Um, that's, that is how important he is to the tradition. And so Pluto came about uh, because the birthday of Astro Boy in the original comics was uh, April something, 2003, I think. And that, that anniversary was coming up in real life, and they were like, well, we've got to do something to celebrate Tezuka's legacy. Uh, and... And uh, Urasawa was kind of at this, like, meeting of people hanging out and talking about what they should do to celebrate it. And, uh, and he did not step up, but he kind of started thinking. He started thinking a little bit, uh, because somebody asked, who here is going to have the balls to adapt the greatest robot on Earth? And the greatest robot on Earth is that individual story that was then adapted by Urasawa a few years later, to be Pluto. Um, and so when we're doing this first episode, we're not actually going to be talking about Urasawa uh, much at all, despite the title of the podcast. We're going to be talking about Tesca. We're going to be talking about the original story, and that is going to help us understand Pluto as we read and watch it, and let us actually... Basically... If you're going to analyze an adaptation, you gotta know what it's adapting. Um, you know, and so we we kind of thought about a few different ways we wanted to do that. We were like, maybe we just sort of talk about it a little bit in each episode, or it was even possible to maybe do it near the end. But ultimately, it only makes... It just makes the most sense to do it up front, here at the top. Episode zero and just bring all of you fine folks along with us so that we can really, uh, we can all jump in with both feet, knowing, knowing the terrain. I, I do want to share my pitch, my, my, the silliest pitch I had for the way that we could do this, which was, <laughs> we had our catchphrase kind of throughout this thing be, oh, Pluto, it's not your dad's Astro Boy. And then before releasing the final episode, Quinn and I would record this episode transcribe it and then have our fathers walt finnell and charlie morris re-record <laughs> our dialogue to make that episode a thing that would be a For logistical nightmare 
and impossible, that I, completely just not, impossible. Not something uh, you do, but the funniest, stupidest yeah. thing that I could imagine. Literally, so our dad. So technically, it would be our grandpa's Astro Boy. Yeah, um, but my my grandpas are dead. I don't I don't know oh, about yours. One of one of my grandpas is dead, and I don't think the other one has a huge interest in animation. Um, <laughs> so a doomed a but, doomed quest. Any yeah. any in any way we look at it. So okay, now so we've got kind of two things to talk about in this mm-hmm. episode one is tezka and the other is the story itself and i just want to kind of get tezka out of the way i've got some notes here i know i've yeah. talked a lot uh, i'm excited to hear about it because i so, i know yeah. one fact about tezka and it's that he Which was a physician correct so yes. i'm excited to hear what you've prepared yes okay so i'm not actually going to spend that much time on it because being a cultural legend there has been a lot of ink spilled over the dude and his life, and I don't want to say anything that's that's going to be wrong or contradicted later. And also, ultimately, the podcast isn't about him as a person. It's about his work. So I also didn't want to spend a, a huge amount of time researching that. I, I did read some stuff, uh, and I'm going to give you guys kind of the highlights, and then we're going to get into what's more relevant to what we're doing. Um, just so y'all know, uh, a lot of the information... Um, not interpretations, but information that I'm going to be giving you comes from a website called tezkainenglish.com, which is a super, super thorough fan site. Um, if you miss old style fan sites that were really thorough and not infected by wiki bullshit, seriously, go check hey, it out. Hey, fuck you, fandom. It's awesome. Yeah, like, fuck you, just fandom. Just the worst company. Yeah. So, Tezka, born in 1928. Uh, Matt is right. He did, he was a doctor. Uh, he wasn't, he never practiced, but he did do lab work. Uh, and he had a, he had a thesis that was some science shit that I, I've forgotten. Um, so he was born in 1928. And of course that meant that he was in his teens during World War II. And he actually worked at a military factory, uh, during the war. And he saw the firebombings of Osaka, uh, firsthand. Right. Mm. Um, and... So, a big theme of his work is anti-war, if you can believe it. Uh, and honestly, that's that's all of the specifics we're going to get into about Tesca. That's it. Just, just that. Just, you know, and he worked really hard. He worked way too fucking hard. Um, if you want to know more about him, guess what? There's a zillion books, several YouTube videos, at least one documentary. Knock yourselves out. There's a ton. But what we're concerned with is Astro Boy and kind of in what it is and what it's about and and that'll lead us into this story. So, who's Astro Boy? Um, he's Tezka's most famous character by far. Uh, he's called Adam uh, in Japanese. And the name of his series is Tetsuan Adam, which literally translates to Iron Arm Adam uh, and figuratively translates to Mighty Atom. Uh, but he was introduced, actually, in, in a completely different series. He was a side character in a series called Ambassador Adam, which, which ran for a little less than a year, from April 51 to March 52, in a magazine called Manga Shonen. Um, and I read, I read that, uh, um, I read that kind of in preparation for this, and it was an interesting story, very sci-fi, very Twilight Zone, um, you know, very, very much in that 50s sci-fi realm. Uh, and the story itself did fine, but 
Adam was actually a really popular character. And so uh, when talking with his editor about the next series he might do, uh, Tezka kind of adjusted Adam's design a bit and decided, okay, this is, this is the guy. And made a series about him. And then it ran for 16 years, which is a fucking lot. Um, like, that's a, that's a good long series by, by anyone's standards. And I don't think it was ever really the one thing he was working on either. Um, uh, so what's, what's the deal with Astro Boy as a series then? What, what is the story about? Um, first off, one thing that is interesting about how manga was structured back then compared to how it's structured now, uh, we expect things like arcs, right? We expect manga to be a single consistent story from beginning to end that has individual story arcs that we kind of ebb and flow between, right? Um, but as a matter of fact, uh, back then, it was significantly more episodic. Uh, you would have individual stories that would be serialized, you know, much the same way that arcs are, but there was less effort given to making them have that uh, continuity. Um, it was... It was more disjointed, more just like, this is a story featuring this character, and I'm gonna, it's gonna be published in monthly installments, right? Uh, it was more like the serialized novel than, than the modern mm. version in which it's one single continuous thing that can last for, you know, 20, 30 plus years. Uh, so that's interesting because, especially when you read, when you read this story, which I'll, uh, I'll get into the details later, actually. I'll, I'll put that aside. Sorry, there's a lot to talk about. No, 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 um, you're good. And, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a little paragraph thing here that I have kind of prepared for what Astro Boy is sort of about. So what it is about, it deals with a ton of that classic 50s, 60s science fiction stuff. What does it mean to be human? What will it mean for society when robots become sentient? What if aliens exist? What can life look like out there in the big universe? Why do people hate each other and discriminate against each other? How can we make peace on Earth a reality? Tezka tackled all of these questions from a place of compassion and a really earnest attempt to communicate to a younger audience the complexities of life, right? And I think that's something that uh, kind of sets Tezka apart um, is uh, from a lot of his science fiction contemporaries because as a thinker, I think he is very much in the same realm and on the same level as the greats, as your Asimovs and your Clarks, right? Like, Tezka's science fiction and futurism was truly the real deal, but his audience was different. And it was a chosen audience of younger people, and in much of his work, you can see him really trying to introduce nuance of all kinds and there's a fuck ton of nuance in this story that we've read today uh as as anyone as any of you who have read it uh probably know um you know and so it's really interesting that he's not just uh trying to entertain kids he's trying to educate them and he's trying to instill values of critical thinking and compassion above all and anti-war stuff, right? That That's all very, very important to him as a creator and very core to Astro Boy's identity, both as a character and as a series. Um, 
And I think, so this story then kind of, kind of moving, moving on to this story specifically, the greatest robot on earth. So it was serialized from June, 1964 to January, 1965. Um, that is eight installments. We don't really know what the chapter breakdowns are because this is really, this is in terms of page counts and everything, this is right about one volume of manga. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was kind of actually one of my questions was because as I was reading through it, I, I think the first time I read through it, I expected chapter breaks and there's not really them. And I'm not really sure where like I would draw them. You know, it yeah. feels like a continuous story. One of the notes that I had in the front matter of the of the edition that I've got talked about how, hey, you know, when print versions would be published, he, Tez Tezco would clean up some art or rearrange yes. things or do like a little bit of editing. So like... Yeah. The, the way that it's presented to us now isn't quite maybe how it, how it was serialized. No, definitely um, not. So in the, I believe it was in the 70s or 80s, um, a publisher, I can't remember which one, went to Tezka and they're like, hey, we want to release all of your work that we can, that we can find. All of it. Um, and he was like, yeah, okay. And then the madman, you know, he went through pretty much all of his work and he changed stuff and he updated wording he thought was outdated he fixed art sometimes he rearranged uh story beats or, and stuff like that so when we read any of tezka's work even if we happen to be able to read it in japanese we're not reading it as it was initially published because he didn't see those works as done he saw all of his stuff as still being available mm. to fuck with and able to be updated uh, which is a really interesting perspective to have on it uh, and kind of uh, sparks some interesting conversations in the modern day that we probably don't fully need to get into, but is is just interesting in and of itself. Well, well let's, let's have a quick one right now because I am curious sure. how, in what format have you read um, Greatest Robot on Earth today? So there's pretty much only one English translation and it is the dark horse translation. And there's mm -hmm. a huge problem with it. Okay. It's you say problem right. and I'm going to say, this is what is right with this one, as opposed to oh, everything else that we've read for this. I thought we were going to talk about this during monster, but it, I, I'm glad that it's come up now because this is like one of my bugbears about manga. You think um, we should read it? You think we, you think it should be flipped, huh? You're a flipper. I do think it should be flipped oh, because American comics in Japan are flipped so that they read the no way. No way. Yeah, yes, they are. I looked no. this up one time during an argument. It might not be all of them, no. but there's enough of them that are. That's yeah, yeah, insane. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I understand from a labor they perspective why Western it's not. Art? I, at least sometimes. I found some examples of it happening. Like the last time that I had this argument with someone. So I, and that was years ago. So maybe I'm remembering incorrectly. Maybe wow. it's just like I cherry picked, but I do think it's like I understand. Like I said, I understand from a labor perspective why we don't do this because you know if you have signage, you know then there's like a whole bunch of things that have to be adjusted. There's actually a specific example in this reading of why flipping art is a bad idea. Oh, is there in this one? There is. There is. There's one specific one that I called out. I'm excited to get there. Okay. Uh, what an interesting. So no, you're, just like, what's your me, pitch though? Why, from, why from my we... side, it was yeah. such a barrier to getting into manga for a while. Mm. Um, going all the way back to like the first manga that I can remember reading was the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon 
uh, manga that was included in certain issues of Nintendo Power as like a it was it was like staple bound into individual issues, but it was like its own little comic book size thing mm-hmm. and you had to read it it read right to left and yeah. there was an explanation that you have to read it in the z kind of format and i remember yeah. it just giving me such a headache as a child like it mm. was just so hard for me to do that it i just remember thinking after finishing that like okay i absolutely don't want to read things in this format and it felt like a <laughs> part of it was part of it was just like personal convenience part of it is just yeah. like literally it's personal taste right what sure. i had a friend in college who would say to me in latin whenever we disagreed on things like when i liked something and he didn't or the other way there's around, no accounting for tastes and it drove me up a wall Right, because he would say it to if me in Latin. If he said it in Latin, that would drive anybody up the wall. He did, but like you know, I, I, years later, now I'm you know ten years removed from when I started college, which is wild to me. But like Ugh. at this point in my life, I can appreciate it a little bit more, and I understand where he's coming from. Um, so part of it is just a big personal taste thing. The other part is to me, and this just might be a a perception thing. It felt like a kind of a gatekeepy way. Uh, to make things feel it, it feels like it others and makes it different right as like i'm someone who likes comic but manga sits on its own shelf it reads a different way if you try to open it the way that you open a normal comic book sometimes there's kind of a cheeky edgy warning that's like hey idiot you're reading this the wrong way blah 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 mm-hmm. um so it's as an adult you know i i watch i watch movies with subtitles it's not a big deal um, but as a teenager, it was a thing that sure. frustrated me and kept me from reading and enjoying things that I would have liked, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I can appreciate that it, that it seems a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it probably is a natural barrier in the sense that anything unfamiliar is a barrier. In the sense that sure. reading manga is literally a separate skill to be acquired. Um... But I'm always going to come down on the side of integrity over accessibility, which... I think I agree. I mean, because I'm a release order guy is the other thing. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think that... I like. Also, I think putting together just to be clear, accessibility yeah. was the wrong word to use there. Because it's not a matter of... If you can read, there's no such thing as a person that is incapable of learning to read right to left. Sure. That's, you know, if you can read, then you can read right to left. It's tricky uh, to talk about, but, right? Because you get yeah. into these, you get into Twitter discourse, right? Where it's like it, it goes straight to Twitter. Yeah, even to with read just manga us, do, it just jumps, you know, yeah, oh, like God. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it is absurd to me that they would flip Western, uh, would flip Western comics to read right to left. I mean, just maybe I'm remembering wrong. I just remember being feeling so vindicated when I saw like literally probably just one example of that. I <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know, uh, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, yeah. But, anyway, this this anyway, edition that we're reading does read Dark left Horse. to right. Yeah. Um, and that's that's because this was translated and published long, long before the big wave of, of Western manga acceptance. Uh, these editions came out in the early 2000s, right? The manga wave didn't start hitting the States until, what, 06, 07? Um, you know, at at least. Uh, that's, that's when people started actually buying print manga in bulk. Uh, and so these editions were really like early adoption stuff. 
the quality of the translation is quite good. Um, and, you know, obviously it's, it's very professional stuff. Lettering is good. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any scanlations online uh, for this even, because I think, I think people just stole library copies mostly uh, <laughs> of the, of the original books, uh, which actually, oh, that, that does remind me. I've read this story before many, many, many times because when I was a child, my library happened to have editions of the Dark Horse Astro Boy. And so I read them over and over and over. And this was also my favorite story of Astro Boy. Okay. Um, you know, and I think, I think for any, anyone who's a childhood fan of Astro Boy, this one really stands out. Uh, and I don't think it's kind of in the purview of this episode to talk about why it stands out, because we'd need to read more Astro Boy, wouldn't we? Um, but I think, just statistically speaking, there is a reason why this one has such an impact on the people that read it, and there's a reason why this was the specific story that was chosen to show honor and respect to one of the one of the greatest creators of all time and why why this is the story that that became pluto yeah um you know i i had not read this one before and i i think kind of your explanation there gives a little bit of your history with astro boy i um my history with it comes from when i was in second or third grade maybe even later i don't remember my one of my friends kohler sakachevin had the game boy advance um astro boy omega factor game by treasure um and i borrowed it from him for you know over a christmas break or something and just remember playing the absolute heck out of it um and the the main thing that i remember from that game was one how many characters there were in it because i think it drew from all of um tesca's canon and we we might talk about this game a little bit more at some point um stay tuned but um the other thing i remember was kind of um how grim and kind of serious it felt (laughs) and i think part of that was like it was drawing from the oh three anime current, yeah oh three anime which yeah. like the oh three anime three... was a little heavy but i mean but but that's the thing about astro boy astro boy it has always it. been you can do it a little heavy it's not even you can do it it's that's the original material yeah um, something's going on in oh three yeah. by the way because the tmnt cartoon at that same time is very grim in a similar way and also has that a very good game boy advance game the original like, justice league cartoon was airing around then and the original okay. justice league cartoon also has some some kind of weird dark stuff going on. Like I don't know if if do you, if you remember the first like two or three part. I don't. For that I've seen a lot of Justice League Unlimited, but I don't think I've seen a lot of like Justice League Justice League. Justice League Justice League has a markedly different tone. Okay. Um, it's worth. It's really worth watching. I really haven't seen that much of the Superman cartoon either. Is the other thing like I've I seen a lot of Batman of the animated series. I watched some of it. Superman the animated series slept on. Fucking slept on. I remember the Metallo episodes, and I think that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that, that's a that's a different podcast. Uh, the one question I did have about your history with Astro Boy was the mm-hmm. library copies that you had. And mm-hmm. listeners, I'm holding this up so you won't be able to see it. Did they come in this dictionary size omnibus? No, when you read you, them. You okay. have the you have the giant fucking omnibus edition. This is the wrong uh, way to read this. It's too yeah. big. Yeah. Um, I am an yep. enemy of big comics. Yeah, it's just, it's too beefy. It's not really fun to read books that size. No, it was the smaller ones. The little, okay. It was hardback. They were hardback, actually. Okay. Um. Yeah, but 
Okay, so that's that is our history with with uh, Astro Boy, uh, and just returning for a quick moment to the history of the greatest robot on Earth. Like I said, it was serialized from sixty four to sixty five. So keep in mind that's twelve years into the run of Astro Boy, right? So that's Holy that's a good cow. number of stories in. So this is not like an early winner. Right, it's it, nor is it like a final send off. It is in the middle of the series, just the biggest banger imaginable. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, and you saying sixty four to sixty five just really puts it in perspective. I mean, my parents are both born in sixty five, right? So this is a story, and, and like after this is finished publishing, so like this is older than my parents. Um, like we joked, this is our our grandparents' Astro Boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the ways in which it feels. I don't know, the first time I read it, and I think this has just become like a refrain because of the way that that we read these, right? It's like I read it once Mm -hmm. by myself and then read it once again, kind of paying a little bit more attention to it. I thought it was good the first time I read it, but I wasn't sure what specifically was like, okay, what are the hooks in this that make it something that, you know, Urasawa would want to adapt? What makes this an interesting project to update or kind of respond to or be in conversation with? And reading it again, as I was kind of taking notes, there's so many pieces that I'm like, okay, I can see where XYZ came from. I can see, um, you know, you were talking about how it's aimed at a younger audience. And I think that was something that maybe stuck out to me a little bit the first time, but then reading it a second time, it's like, oh, it's so smart in the way that it talks about kind of i mean reading it as an adult kind of what it is about ultimately feels very obvious and a little bit on the nose but i don't think works any less um Mm. so it's um yeah i I can see why it's important i think it's impressive for when it came out it's definitely something that like feels of its time you know like you know newspaper comic strips popeye Hagar the Horrible, that sort of stuff. There's some bonk, oof, why I oughta, you know, oh, stuff yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it is not, like, like I think, I think in some ways, I think in a lot of ways, Tesco was ahead of his time, but, you know, if you're making something in the 60s, ahead of your time puts you into the 90s, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't get you to the 2020s. Um, no. So... Uh, we've, we've still kind of outpaced his, his forward thinkingness, but at the same time, um, despite the, the age that it shows, I think the spirit and the heart in the story is still super duper fresh. Like it doesn't, Astro Boy is old, but it is by no means lifeless. No. It, it, it's, it's spark has hasn't dimmed in the ways that uh that other series of the time uh definitely have because you know you go back and you read uh some some golden age or, or silver age stuff even and it can be hard to find the joy in them and to really be like what what am i getting out of this reading it now uh but i think astro boy I don't think it feels that way. Um, no. I think part of that is its originality. Part of that is its character design. Part of it is also, like, I can think about the things that it's inspired. Like, one thing that stuck out to me so much on the second reread is, like, hey, this is just Mega Man. This is Nintendo Entertainment System Mega Man. Is, yes, like, is. pulled directly from this. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, like, down to Astro Boy having a sister. 
right? Like yeah. Mega Man and Roll and, you know, Dr. Light. That's all. That's the dynamic that's here yeah. with, with those three. I can't pronounce Dr. O- o- Ochanamizu. I've written it down so many different ways. Ochanamizu. Ochanamizu. This is going to be a fun bit throughout the series is how many times I butcher this guy's name. Fun fact, that name literally means uh, water for tea. Um, huh. And it's named after a part of Tokyo that has a lot of universities, I believe. Okay. Because he's a doctor type. Um, uh, I also think something else that we can kind of get into a little bit more, uh, but one thing that does actually age incredibly well, so like... You know, uh, as I understand it, and I could be wrong, but uh, manga at the time, assistants were much less a part of the deal, right? And that's why manga had less screen tone, had less shading. It it uh, kind of had less detail in general because one person had to do uh, all of it. But there's something about the art that hasn't aged a day, and it's the layout. The page layout in this, I mean... I, manga, modern manga, rarely has layout approaching the, the innovation and unceasing dynam, dynamicity, dynamicness. Oh, I don't know. Dynamicness? Yeah, I don't know. Right? Right? Uh, I, I feel Dynamism. dumb. Dynamism. There we go. Dynamism. Every page, every fucking page of this manga is laid out completely differently. And unlike Urasawa, it never gets too fancy for its own good. It is always exactly what you need. It is always interesting to look at. Uh, sometimes it adheres to a grid. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and and you gotta understand, I mean, I don't know enough, I don't know a lot about the manga uh, landscape at the time, but I know that American comics were in fucking grid hell for decades. You know, like, the fact that Tezka created something with this visual range when he did, at a time when there was very, very little comparable to this, that really stands out. Yeah, it's um, it's striking. I I would be curious. I probably should just, even if I don't read them, just kind of look at what were some of the contemporary things that were being published around this time, um, in the states and in Japan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's a, it keeps moving. You know, it's it's a page turner. It was a, it's a, it was a pretty easy read. Um, but there's some pieces of art in here that I really like. And, um, like I already mentioned, I think all the character design is very fun and exciting. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to get into it in a little bit more detail. Um, Mm -hmm. do you have a summary? I don't have a summary written for the story. I also think the story is pretty easy to sum up. I mostly just have a bunch of notes about different scenes kind of that that I've written. Yeah. I mean, a summary, cause like, cause this is technically an eight chapter read that we're about to do, but so this actually is a great moment to talk about the fact that Tezka clearly did not perceive episodicity to be an important part of his storytelling. No. Right? And this is maybe one of the single biggest differences between Tezka and Urasawa. 
because Urasawa really leans into episodicity. We've talked about it a bunch before. It's something how that he distinct sees... individual chapters feel and yeah. individual arcs and things like that. Yeah. yeah, it's it is completely key to how Urasawa plans and tells and imagines his own stories. Uh, Tezuka, on the other hand, clearly sees this story as one singular unit mm -hmm. um, and doesn't see any breaks in the middle of it. And I I was reading and I was trying to pinpoint like, oh, where would the chapter break be? Where's the cliffhanger? And there were a couple, but honestly not... Nothing really stood out to me as being consciously, oh, this is Tezka trying to give me a cliffhanger. Um, you know, and so that's structurally super duper interesting difference. And for that reason, we're going to keep the summary here kind of simple. Um, I, even if you're the kind of listener that doesn't read any of the stuff that we talk about here, love to have you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. But if you're going to read one fucking thing, if you're going if you're only going to read one thing from this podcast, make it the greatest robot on earth. I'm still going to say read the Rosso chapter of Monster at this point, <laughs> like that one's good. But greatest sure. robot on earth close very yeah. close second. Um you know, uh So, I'm going to give a pretty perfunctory summary that honestly isn't going to get into the details. Um just because it would be summarizing this properly would be difficult and you'd lose the details anyway. So and also there's some beats of this that are just very old fashioned. Like, oh, hugely. you know, there's some fights that end with, well, this is it for today, but next time I'll get you. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically the summary of the story goes thus. There is a bad guy. That bad guy is a sultan that's been exiled from his home country after his people rose up and threw him out. And he always wanted to be king of the world, but since he can't achieve that dream, he's instead hired a roboticist to make him the most powerful robot on earth. And then he's sent that robot, Pluto, out into the world to go and defeat the seven greatest robots and after pluto defeats them then he will be the greatest robot on earth and the sultan will be if not king himself at least the king of the world will be his personal subject is kind of his thinking uh and so a lot of the story is pluto going to different places around the world and fighting the cool robots they've got there and uh killing them in, in some really brutal ways um and uh, he, you know, fights a bunch of robots. He skirmishes with Astro a couple of times. He um, kidnaps, well, technically a Chanamizu finds the Sultan himself, but then gets himself kidnapped anyway. Uh, and there are some little subplots with Pluto and Astro's sister, Uran. Uh, Uran? Probably. I was saying Uran. I don't, I don't yeah, know how Uran. that's pronounced. That probably makes yeah. more sense. Um, uh, Uran, uh, like, they kind of sort of become friends. He, like, cares for her somewhat. Uh, there's a great subplot with one of the robots called Epsilon. That oh, one's... love Epsilon yeah. so much. Uh, you know, so we'll, if there's important details about these things, we'll kind of tell you as we get there. 
But that's really the long and short of it, is there's a big strong robot and he's out he's out to, to wreck these other robots. Uh, and there's also another robot named Bora who's just a big, a big piece of shit. Uh, Bora's and... the best. Um, <laughs> we're going to do ranking of robots at the end of this episode. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I listed them all out. I love Bora so much. It's so sense. funny. It's so goofy. I do, I do love Bora. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. And and basically, you know, theme-wise, uh, I don't think it's spoilers to tell you that this is a story explicitly about the futility of violence yeah. And, and about and nuclear proliferation. Like bingo. honestly, I think is yep. is the big thing. Like it's that in it's it, Mighty yeah. Adam, right? Like it's it's in the name. You know? I think it's so clear. Like you can look at this in the sixties and like all the stuff with throughout the Cold War happens for the next twenty years after this. And it's like you can explain this to a kid with this story right here, which is yeah, bananas. Absolutely. Um it really it really is something the way that it, the way that it almost effortlessly, you know, and like you said, you could say that it's a little on the nose, but like, honestly, is it? Because no. I think you could really read this and not even realize the larger themes. I don't think when I was a kid, I don't think when I read this, I went, oh, this is about nuclear proliferation. You know, I, I, I didn't go, I get it. This is geopolitics. I just, I just went, I just went, this is, this is a really cool and sad story. Um, and, and it's, we say this a lot about Urasawa, about how he'll make really difficult things look easy as a writer. Yeah. Uh, this this is an accomplishment that doesn't it, dwarf. it dwarfs it. No, it does uh, yeah, because yeah, because Urasawa yeah. was doing it for like late teenagers and people our age, right? Like yeah. I don't know who the target audience of his manga is, but right, but like you read those it's things a, and it's like it for right. a more adult audience, right? Yeah. You read this. This is for children. Accomplishing the same thing for kids, I think, is yeah. harder. Would would yeah. be my no. Is, I mean, yeah. I I definitely agree that I definitely agree. It stands above mm -hmm. uh, most of most of the stuff that we've seen Urasawa Urasawa do. You know, and and I think it is that that deft touch, that capability. That's one of those things that makes I mean, like, Tezka stand out. You know, you I didn't was, even talk about yeah. the Doctor Tenma stuff in here, and like, oh, there I didn't even so mention. Oh God, the million there. horse, the million horsepower robot shit. That is so. Ooh, yeah, it's no, like you're shocking. Right, you're right. It's how it's crazy. Modern that, oh, that feels. It's so. I actually, I have a, I have a lot of notes about that. Um, okay. You know, but this, I was talking to, I was, I was talking to my roommate. I was talking to Maya about this, about Tesca, and I was, and I was talking about how intimidated I was to talk to, about this, to talk about like Tesca at all because he's such a big deal, and you know, she's. She doesn't know much. Uh, doesn't know Maya much about Maya also it. doesn't so listen to like, our podcast, so I can. She doesn't. You know, yeah, exactly. I, but I can say thank you. We Maya. love you, Maya. We appreciate you, Maya. you. Yeah, but but she was we like, "How big of a guy? How big of a deal is this guy really?" And then she ragged <laughs> on me because I I talked up science Saru too hard last time we talked about this. She's like, "Cause last time you were like, oh, they're the best art they house are, anime though. The Scott studio. Program anime is so yeah, no, good. I, I know, I know. Uh, but but so 
she was ragging on me. She was like, how important is this guy really? And, and I was like, how do you say how important Tezuka is? Because this is, he's the Shakespeare of manga. He's the Walt Disney of manga. He is the god of manga, you know, and stories like this are why. Because this is, it is so, it is so singular. I mean, Other do you, people do you just want to get, like, Dragon Ball is all here. This is tournament arcs. Yep. This is power levels. Yes. Like, yes. all of it, it is just yes. right here. The whole thing, this, this chapter is the blueprint for Shonen, except it's not a blueprint. It deconstructed the Before entire genre of Shonen. Before Shonen existed! I, that, that was, yeah, that was, you know, it's, it came out 20 to 30 years before Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball's it this this story this 180 pages laughs at Dragon Ball Z in concept it makes Dragon Ball Z look like a bad idea yeah a little bit I mean look I love Akira Toriyama's drawings there's a different world because listeners if you remember the three manga that I bought they kicked off this podcast were the devil man um hardcover uh the first three uh volumes of dragon ball compiled into a one and three and then the f- the first volume of monster so there's a different world where this is a dragon ball pod. i mean probably not i don't think you care about dragon ball but there's a different world where i have a dragon <laughs> ball podcast yeah i would probably i would be on it from time to time i don't dislike yeah, dragon ball show up and be like hey I... I really like the third form of cell and krillin uh, you're you're actually correct. I do like both of those things. Uh, I played so much Budokai Tenkaichi Three. You have no fucking idea. Um, I love that I was able to just immediately pull two characters that you like. I do. I love Cell. I the Cell arc is my favorite Cell's arc. Cell's good. Dragon Ball I like Z. Cell a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's so funny to me. <laughs> hey, do you know who yeah. my favorite Dragon Ball Z character is? If it's not Yamcha, I'll kill it's myself. Yamcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I have a mullet yep. and I've got Puar on the shelf back Literally, there. It's, it's Yamcha. It was definitely Yamcha. Um, <laughs> that's so good. Anyways, that's but a different... okay. Yeah, it's a different podcast. It's, it's a different world. Oh, man. But I, I should think be Yamcha for Halloween. <laughs> Oh, oh, and your girlfriend can be Puar. <laughs> Let's talk about the greatest robot on Earth. Uh, I think maybe like the first thing to talk about is honestly that opening splash page. Yeah, the volcano. And, and I'm I'm going to read. I'm just going to read this intro. You should. Ah, Pluto. By a faraway volcano, where the earth splits open beneath a shimmering layer of mist and clouds, you were smashed and scattered, gone forever. You lived the life given you without hesitation, self-doubt, shame, or resentment. You carried out your duty, and then you were gone. Ah, Mont Blanc. Ah, North Number Two. Ah, Brando. Ah, Gerhardt. Ah, Hercules. Ah, Epsilon. When will they sit in judgment of the humans who created temporary life out of a limitless lust for power and control, and then destroyed it? All of that over a beautiful, 
splash page of a volcano with rendered in really, really excellent hatching and cross-hatching. No grays, just blacks. Very high contrast. It's a beautiful page. Really, really hasn't aged a day. It has such a powerful feeling of foreboding and loss. And, and you have that over it in the white space of the smoke. Jesus Christ. It's crazy to start your story. And I mean, this is the reprinted version. Well, I, I don't know if this appeared in the original printing or not. We don't know. I the next page, did. then we go into Tesca, you know, little artist Tesca with this little, you know, French beret beanie thingy with mm-hmm. his little paintbrush talking about, hey, here's details about how this one was published and stuff like that. But like, yeah. it's crazy to start your story with an epitaph for all the robots that are killed in it and just be yeah. like, violence is meaningless. All of this sucks. Look at this beautiful volcano. Also, it's the human's fault. It also says at the top, humans did this. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't blame Pluto as a character. No. You lived the life given you. You carried out your duty and then you were gone. It, it fucking, this one splash page tells you the whole fucking story. Yeah. I'm honestly, so jumping ahead a little bit, because we've read the yeah. first volume of Pluto at this point, I'm mm-hmm. kind of shocked that it doesn't start with something that mirrors this. I I mean, I think there's an obvious reason, which is that Pluto is a mystery. Sure. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm curious to see where we end up with pluto is the thing oh, just because yeah. of the ways that immediately it's different but we'll get to that yeah. we'll get to that um okay so you you've already explained kind of the opening premise um which is you know pluto's created his the sultan gives him the orders okay you're going to go out and destroy all of the most powerful robots on earth so we've yeah. got that like i said he, the tournament he smashes the wall of the sultan's house as he leaves which i, which think I is love a gag. it's so funny. it happens yeah, like three times in the in the you thing. almost it's... expect to see the pluto-sized hole with like the little horns as oh, he comes definitely. out the other end yeah it's a it's a cartoon gag um but then he goes to switzerland and like rips mont blanc in half yeah, which there's actually, there's something interesting to talk about here, which okay. is that the story goes immediately from the panel of Pluto leaving to Pluto walking up to Mont Blanc. Yes, right? I noted and, this. This is very yeah. like children's cartoon, super friends, mm-hmm. like screen wipe, and then we're at the next place, zoop, 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 yeah. all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And this, this again, like, this has to do, this is a result of older comics just having less of a focus on continuity in general. That Mm -hmm. is something that developed in the latter half of the 20th century. Um, And continuity in comics just was not as big of a deal at the time. It's wild to imagine that continuity is the meta move that smart college kids are doing in the 70s and the 80s with comics. Like, those things that I liked growing up, like, what if they continued to exist? Like, the invention of continuity is... So crazy, just <laughs> yeah, in general, it's when you stop to think about it. ultimately what continuity is, is it is... It's an... a way of pulling on history and well, being like, hey, this is history, meaningful. But yeah. like what I, what I mean, it kind of in the moment-to-moment sense, page-to-page continuity, I perceived it as a, as a capitulation to realism. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's an uncharitable take. Um, perhaps more just a... An appeal to realism, right? No, it's it's fair. an appeal to trying to make 
comics more like television to, you know, or, or like, or like life to say this stuff proceeds from one thing to another, not only in a way that we can conceptually follow, but with a natural amount of time spent on it. Yeah. Hey, so uh, like pulling on one of my favorite podcasts, yeah. The Iron mm -hmm. Age of Comics, um, their most recent episode talked about the Squadron Supreme series by Mark Greenwald oh, from the 80s. Now that is a series. That so actually I is actually a have never read series. Squadron Supreme. That's It's a good series for them to talk about, especially as a comic from the 80s that obviously had a huge impact on what happened in the 90s. Yes. Uh, but you're the one who's listened to the podcast. So, to so the episode it. was great. It's after their two episodes on Watchmen, which I haven't listened to yet for spoilers reasons that we will get to later. Um, but um, so <laughs> they talked about Squadron <laughs> Supreme. They talked about Mark Gruenwald. I guess one of the things that like he was notable for during his time at Marvel was like he was a huge comics fan. He was a huge fan of Marvel comics, huge fan of DC comics. One of the things that he did was he would just write these memos, like inter-office memos, talking about like, hey, how do we explain X, Y, Z? Like these things, like how does time travel work in the Marvel universe? Like here's some notes on how it's worked in the past. Here's some ideas for like how it can continue to work. Try to stick to these guidelines. Like that kind of trying to codify and explain and science out concepts and things like that. That's something mm -hmm. that comes about during that, you know, Frank Miller, Alan Moore, like that era of yeah. comic post continuity existing. Right, but as we start yeah. to get into the '90s, this this no, stronger post, lean post on continuity, yeah, post crisis, yeah. exactly. Um, and that's kind of that was the thing that I thought about when when you mentioned that. So it's mm -hmm. it's interesting to think about continuity. But anyways, um, yeah. greatest robot on earth. Yeah, he rocks up on Mont Blanc. Uh, before we keep going with the story, another digression. Let's talk about Pluto's design. Oh, he's so cool. Fucking cool. Big old horns, all black scary looking the white gloves got those little white hands and that like white belt you know and yeah. he's like all black but he's really shiny he's clearly meant to be a beetle um yes the rhinoceros beetle that's what he looks like yeah there's yeah. and there's so many good reasons like you know or it gets into this hercules. in i think it's a hercules or is it a hercules well, atlas uh, stag stag beetle that's the one it's a stag, stag beetle. beetle that's the one that has the two that has the two big horns uh and in case you don't know this listeners um japan fucking loves beetles who doesn't uh, but japan does love but beetles. japan I know this from pokemon it loves beetles it's like a common it is a common hobby for young boys to have to like catch beetles and raise them and like have them fight each other it's a whole thing it's a whole fucking thing um so it makes a lot of sense that like like beetles and i think stag beetles in particular uh, and Hercules beetles are seen as symbols of strength and power. So it makes a lot of sense okay. that that Pluto as a character would share that iconography. Um, yeah, and then I mean, like, it yeah. gets into this in, in Pluto, but, like, there's the idea the that, uh, yeah, you know, Pluto, Lord of the Dead, you know, the horns mm -hmm. of the devil, things like that. Um, so there's there's a lot of different ways that you can dig into it that I think are pretty interesting and fun. Yeah, and Tesco was a big fan of names that were meaningful or interesting um oh clearly you know. like all of the all of the names of the greatest robots on earth are very evocative i mean like you already said we have a robot named hercules right yeah. like <laughs> yeah you know 
Yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Tezka was a very, very well-read person and also a well-watched person. He was a film fanatic. Uh, he watched unbelievable amounts of movies. Um, I saw I saw one thing that said he actually planned out days so that he would watch the part he wanted in one movie in time to leave and go to another movie to catch a sequence he wanted to see in that one. I love that. Right, and King. so like... So when we're talking about his unbelievable vision when it comes to page layout and his power with image and framing, we might look to his experience with film and his filmic imagination as maybe having something to do with his uh, versatility and ability there. Yeah, and this is a direct through line to Urasawa, who like while we were talking mm -hmm. about Monster, we talked about all of the kind of crime and genre films that i you know i was like hey this is pulling from xyz yeah. this is from hitchcock this is from the fugitive this is from all these things so it's and like I mean, this kind of you know it's everyone's always movies is the thing that everyone's chasing always yeah this i mean it happens a lot in comics as a medium uh i mean frank miller is a great fucking example well, yeah. of, a, of a filmic comics artist um you know so just just something to bring up uh, what do we think about Mont Blanc's design that we see of for all of one page, which, ha you know, isn't it Poor fucking Mont crazy? Blanc. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's not one of my favorites in terms of where uh, the designs of these robots, but, you know, he looks mm. nice. He seems like, like a fun his, guy. I like his head. He I, seems, think he's, yeah. I think he's cute. It's also important. So, uh, Astro Boy has seven special powers. Um, and I think machine either gun, one of those. Machine that's gun, one of but, them. Uh, yep. Um, that's the one everybody knows. Uh, but yeah. what he's really famous for is for being a hundred thousand horsepower robot. Okay. Um, and here in Pluto's fight with Mont Blanc, Mont Blanc says, I don't have a hundred thousand horsepower. I've actually got a hundred and thirty-five thousand. So immediately the story is going, Mont Blanc is more powerful pound for pound than Astro Boy. And Pluto just fucks this dude up rips instantly. him in half immediately right so mont blanc just just jobs like hell um so to set up the threat that is pluto and oh man do you want to talk about how he dies uh does he is this the first one where he's thrown up into the spikes and electrocuted is this how yeah, like, that move yeah. is introduced yeah so this is like pluto's move is he can do it's his big you move. know because he's got his two big horns i'm listeners i'm putting my fingers up over my head yeah um and he shoots electricity between his horns like a tesla coil or something and obliterates mont blanc like in between those horns um yeah we see sad. all of the pieces and parts explode of just everywhere fall. springs and gears and everything just blasting out yeah, um, and then Pluto is off to fight Astro Boy. Immediately. Um, He's just at Astro Boy's front door after exploding Mont Blanc. Yeah. One other thing that's cool, I'm pretty sure every time Pluto kills a robot, he says, he says, uh, he, he counts. You know, he... Oh, after he kills I didn't Mont notice Blanc, he that, says, but yeah. That's one the down, but then he says, that's two, that's three. Like, he keeps, he's counting, uh, which is just ominous as fuck. Yeah, and it is like, you know, one of the thematic things as we get into what are the directives of these robots, there's kind of that, you know, you talked about classic science fiction a lot, Asimov, things like that. There's this idea of, you know, robots can't harm humans that we kind of take as a given through some of the other stuff that happens. And this idea that it's like robots are subservient to the directives that are given to them by their creators, and they do yes. not exist beyond that. 
and that kind of becomes yeah. the um one of the big pivot points of i think the climax of the story yeah and uh, this is something that reading more Astro Boy would kind of inform us a little bit better on, kind of figuring out where Tezco lands on the programming versus personality uh, thing with his how he perceives robots and artificial intelligence to work. Um, uh, but we see in this story, and relatively that uh, robots can have the laws of robotics built in, but... They can, through willpower uh, or necessity, break them sometimes, uh, even if they're built in. Um, some robots are very beholden to their programming, and sometimes they can break their programming. Sometimes they talk about things like specific circuits. That's something that's mentioned uh, uh, kind of late in this story, is they're like, oh, mm, Pluto doesn't mm. have the circuits to do that. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense, man. Um you know, but the other thing that I think is interesting yeah. is the con the idea of okay, here's my relationship with my creator and with humans, but then separately, here's my relationship with the other robots. Oh right? yeah, there's um, very robots and, and really have out. their own culture. Yeah, uh, in in a way, uh, and they recognize their existence as being distinct from humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, in a really interesting way and that's i mean that's a big that's a big thing that astro boy is always talking about is robots are a different form of life that are kind of like humans but not really and they are dependent on humans but not really and but but they're definitely sentient and they definitely do have feelings uh and it's just it's a very interesting take on it very of the time and and again very clark very asimov very in yeah. that in that zone. Um, and kind of in this initial fight with Pluto, uh, which I think he, yeah. So Pluto and Astro fight a bit. And then Ochanamizu comes out and he's like, Hey, hey cut this shit out. Stop it. Uh, and they do, which is nice. Um, and, and yeah, Pluto's like out of the way, dude, I can't fight humans. I'm only designed to fight robots. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then Ochanamizu tells him to leave. And he tells he him to yeah, get out of here, do whatever. And Uran says something to Astro Boy like, oh, why won't you fight him? You're yeah, being you're a coward, coward. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. And Astro Boy, this is when I think the idea of I need more horsepower starts yeah, to come uh, up. Uh, and um, Ochanamizu? Yeah, Ochanamizu. Good job. Tells him like, hey, no, like you don't need more horsepower. That's not what you're designed for. We'll yeah. get back to that later. Whatever. Ooh, boy. His nose yep. comes off in a little, you know, it's like, what? Yeah, it's like Do you want more plug. horsepower? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he gets um, he gets so mad that he he overheats and then he has to stick his head in a pond and cool down. You know, all mm -hmm. that all those fun little visual gags. Classic um, cartoony stuff. Exactly. Uh there is uh, do we want to talk about the tornado real quick? Yeah, no, this is, I, that's actually exactly yeah. what I was going to talk about. Was So the way that Pluto leaves is, you know, he sticks his arms out in a T-pose and spins around really fast and makes this kind of tornado and spins away to where he's going next, which mm -hmm. I just think is like such a cool little visual. Yeah. It's very, like, it's this dark black funnel cloud spinning really away, cool. looking all sinister. And um, it's really, like, Tezka's skill as an artist to the modern eye is most apparent when he depicts nature because his character designs have aged very well, but have aged, you know? And so it's hard for us to look at them and not 
see them as, as overly simplistic, even if that's not a fair perception, that's how it looks to the modern eye. But when Tezka draws nature, your eyes just pop out of your head. It is really, really lovely, uh, and uh, the fluidity of line is, is just insane. Um, you know, so... Yeah, and and here is here is the panel that makes all shonen look like it is for dumb babies. If it was only about strength, Astro, professional wrestlers would be the most important people in the world, but they aren't. Even a robot with only a hundred thousand horsepower can be the greatest robot in the world. I think it's so notable that he says professional wrestlers instead of like you know, weightlifters or strongmen or Olympic athletes or whatever, because it's like, yeah, professional wrestling is and always has been fake, right? It's image. Well, it's... we don't know what the translation is. It could have <laughs> been, it very well could have been sumo or it could Maybe. have been some like Japanese Maybe. contest of yeah. strength. We, sure. I, I wish we knew for sure. Um, yeah. but you, I just, you're that not stood wrong. out to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what pro wrestling was like at the time. 64. Oh, man. Hang on. Quick detour. There's a movie out right now okay. called The Iron Claw that, uh-huh. uh, my friend Andrew and I went to go see on New Year's Eve. Super sad. Incredibly good movie. It's a, it's a, um, it's a biopic about a family of American professional wrestlers in the late seventies and early eighties, the Von Erich family. Um, Zach Efron from High School Musical. And Jeremy Allen White from The Bear, and uh, the guy who was the older detective in Mindhunter are like the three leads in it. Wow, it's very good. Yeah, That's it's a crazy. movie about sports and dads and brothers. We cried at the end. That's of a it. Matt film of ever. It's, I've it's heard a good one. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, wrestling. There we go. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, um. So yeah, the tornado spins I'm, off. Yeah. And then North Number Two shows up. Yeah. Um, well, before that, Ochano Mizu directly tells the audience in a speech. Oh, bubble, yeah, yeah, that's right. Meanwhile, that's right. far away in northern Scotland, uh, which, you know, <laughs> is just like, I think that is, that's another thing. We talked about how continuity was less important. We've talked about the visual gags. I think with, with this panel, I've talked about this before on the podcast, I think, but representational versus presentational. Do you know what that means? Explain to me what that means, because I'm not sure so where you're a, going with it. It's a it's a theater concept. It's there are only two kinds of plays. Plays where at least one character speaks directly to the audience, and plays where that doesn't happen. If Shit. nobody ever speaks to the audience, he snaps. Fuck you. If <laughs> nobody ever speaks no, to the good. audience, it's representational, right? It is a play that does not perceive the audience that is self-contained and is about showing the flow of actions and feelings that exist between the characters in the world that they have. But a presentational thing is something that, by speaking to the audience, acknowledges them and invites them in and makes them a part of things. And so what we can see here is that Tezka's work is actually very it's presentational it has those gags and it speaks directly to us every once in a while and that changes the contract that's what it's called a contract um and so that's just another difference between uh between this manga and and other manga uh because boy most manga is representational these days yeah i've never that is a new one to me um and it's 
I, I could sit here and just talk about how profound that feels right now. But like, I've, I've never heard that category before. And I feel like it's a very good kind of way of thinking about pieces of art and how they how you're supposed to think about them. Oh, yeah. Um, it's and that, that's pretty a new fundamental. So, yeah, th- thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, um, of course. Of course. So, yeah. So then we're on to North number two, who has this really fun chess piece design. Mm hmm. He's wearing like a coat that has like, like a bunch of buttons on it or something. I, I don't think know. That's He's just on him because most like most robots don't wear clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he he rolls around kind of like on a unicycle wheel. No, I think he's hovering. It's a little hover. Oh, is he hovering? He's a little, he's a little hover boy. Yeah. Let's look at him. He's not around for very long, unfortunately. No, oh, he is he's around for a, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's around for a lot longer than than poor Mont Blanc. Uh, and this will yeah. also, once we get to the to next episode, we talk about Pluto. I have some thoughts woo-hoo. about North Number Two. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I may or may not have cried. <laughs> yeah, um, and some big thoughts on on the adaptation of North Number Two as a character and as a concept and mm-hmm. and of all this. But yeah, North Number Two, he's with his scientist uh, creator, I suppose, and then he's like, "Oh shit, Pluto's what? coming." I'm going to call out the specific line because I'm pretty sure this gets replicated in Pluto word for word. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the ones that I noticed. I mean, I'm sure there'll be more, but this was mm-hmm. this is one that gets um, gets replicated. Master, I've detected a giant robot. Raider shows him to be 20 miles south of here, headed this way. And then the scientist says, probably one of your pals. No. And then North Number 2 says, no, he appears to be my enemy. Um, and then That, it, it that conversation is line for line there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that appears in unless I'm just completely remembering wrong, but I'm pretty sure that gets that's like the piece of this scene that we'll moves over out. to the other one. Yeah. Um Yeah, and then North Number Two he's got those six arms. Yeah, and so he fights him with the six arms and then they turn into six different weapons, you know, little yeah. saw blades and stuff like that, but even that's not enough and no. Pluto destroys zaps him. Zaps him, just fucking zaps him again. Same mm-hmm. thing, big old horn Zappo, and he falls into goddamn bits. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, and it is it is a little interesting. It has to be said that um, it's such an anti-violent story, but the violence is that there. But we see as much of it as we do, um, you know, and it's kind of cool. It's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but There's lots of also... fights with people saying, oh my gosh, he just did this move and that move and the other thing. <laughs> yeah, which, which... Like I said, straight line to Dragon Ball and people straight explaining line. fights and moves. There's and actually like another straight line to Dragon Ball that I imagine oh. you noticed, but if I point it out and you haven't noticed it, you're going to feel so dumb. Oh, I can't um, wait. Yeah. And I also, however, you know what this series also makes me think of? Uh, it's not quite the same thing, but it makes me think of something like Marvel Ruins or Marvel Zombies or Dead Kill, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe because it has that feeling of all of these heroes losing senselessly and dying mm. horribly. And it has that vibe of, of like that, that gross evil is winning in a way that evil is really not supposed to win in comics. Yeah, and I think part of that is just really helped by Pluto's design. Like you said, he's this big, mm. black, shiny robot with horns, and he's standing over the wreckage of all of, you know, the greatest robots on Earth, who we're just constantly shown are these kind, you know, creations that are just yeah. then ripped apart. 
Yeah. Um, for for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just because some dude was like, hey, go destroy all these guys. Yeah. Uh, Puto goes back to Japan and calls Astro on the phone. I love <laughs> um, this scene. It's very silly. And then who answers it? Uran. Who proceeds to trick Pluto into thinking that she's Astro Boy, and then she dresses up in Astro Boy's short pants, which, by the way, those are in fact clothes that he just puts on. They're not like built into him or anything. They're they're clothes. He just puts on the Astro Boy speedo he's, and flies out and got a drawer full of them. Um, it's also an important note here. Yordan says, Astro and I both have 100,000 horsepower. She's a robot too. Astro's entire family is robots. I um, didn't realize this at first, and I made a yeah. note about like, hey, what is the deal with Astro Boy's family? Yes, but then in, the, in the front matter for this Dark Horse edition, mm-hmm. it explains that, is that um, Ochana Mizu created the family, rest of Astro yeah. Boy's family so that he could feel you know normal and loved and all the yeah. things that a, a person should be. Which is kind of um, cool. Um, the thing that's also, interesting about Uran, yeah. the thing that's interesting about Uran is that she does not have Astro Boy's, is it six or seven special powers? It is abilities. seven special powers. She doesn't have his seven special powers, and she laments this when she's trying to fight Pluto and says, why didn't Dr. Ochanamizu yeah. give me his seven special powers? She can, however, talk to animals. Oh, that's a I good believe, one. Yeah, it doesn't come up in this story, uh, but Uran but in other stories. Uh, can, can talk to animals. Okay. Um... Yeah, and this is actually probably a good moment for us to take a quick bit. Since we're talking about Tezuka's larger uh, cast, um, I do want to do a special call This is something that I've talked about before in the podcast, but since we're talking about Tezuka, his star system is very, very interesting. I noticed that that is also called out, and that's an interesting phrase. So talk about this. His star system is maybe better understood as a studio system. So Tezka saw his manga as a film studio, and all of his characters in it were like film actors. So he had character hmm. designs, but those weren't just designs. They were he saw them as actors that he cast in suitable roles. Um and there is even like a little list somewhere from from his studio that has a list of his actors and even had their salaries. <laughs> so, yeah. And if you want to find out more about that, TezkaInEnglish.com has a very, very thorough listing of pretty much all the stars in the star system and uh, has some great stuff about their name origins and very thorough documentation of uh, where they occurred and who they were playing. Um, but it's just interesting that as as a comic author, he really felt like he was making movies more than anyone else, more than mm-hmm. more than comics, and that also goes a long way towards explaining why he was so fascinated and fa- fascinated by and focused on animation, because um, he didn't see himself as a comics artist first, but as a film artist first, and his comics are just films that don't move. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that up, uh, and I think it's something that. I'll try to keep an eye out for when we're reading Pluto and see if, if Urasawa brought any that I noticed. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure you did too. Um, Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I think, I just think it's something really cool that Tezuka does. Um, and we know that Urasawa also does it a little bit, like kind of, he reuses character design sometimes. Yeah. There's Um, some faces that show up a couple times. It's not, it's not quite the same, but it seems like too much of a coincidence 
that Urasawa would be doing it with, like, independent of the influence of Tezuka. Sure. So, Uran, dressed up as Astro Boy, goes out uh, to fight Pluto, and Pluto's like, bro, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Uh, yeah, and then when boy. he, yeah, yeah, and then when he when he finds out that uh, uh, Astra's been forbidden from fighting him, he kidnaps Uran and uh, takes her takes her to a to a fucking island. Um, and Astro Astro goes to the island, and but before him and Pluto can fight, oh shit, Brando shows up. Woo! the crowd goes wild everyone loves brando everyone loves brando he's a big ball with spikes he's from turkey he's a wrestling robot we love him we do we do love we do love brando both both in this and in pluto yes. do we love brando um love brando unfortunately the fight with brando is a little anticlimactic brando shows up and is like don't worry astro boy i've got this and then the two of them go underwater and we do not see any of the fight and then there is oil bubbling up from underwater and someone says "Uh oh someone was hurt and pluto <laughs> shoots up to the surface and says it was brando i killed him <laughs> yeah <laughs> God, when you put it that way r.i.p um, brando yeah, I, I actually think, like, watching the oil spread and being like, whose is that? It's I good. think that's cool as shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love Brando's design. There's also something here, like, we see Pluto, like, lift his chest plate up because he's, like, hiding Uran in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that I really like about Tezka's robots is that... They're, they're not yeah they're they're bits and pieces they have, like, their outer shell, which is clean, but their insides, it's very much like a car. Where it, it has that oh. smooth metal, but then you open the hood and it's just like a bunch of wires and shit. Like, you know, we're kind of, I think modern sci-fi, we're used to the insides of robots looking as clean as the outsides to a degree. Um, but sci-fi of the time definitely took a lot of their mechanical inspiration from stuff like uh, engine design. And it feels very mechanical. Yeah, and he's also got really a little heart. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the fact that they're always referred to by how many horsepower they have, that doesn't really feel like a thing that we would do in a modern context. That's, I don't know if that's translation or. That's mostly this story. Um, But you're like, well, generally, the horsepower of a robot is not as important unless it's Astro Boy. So there's a lot of talking about horsepower in this story. But at the same time, his horsepower is very important. So you're right. Like the fact that we measure their strength and power. In horsepower. It ties in horsepower. Cars, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, engines specifically. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of quaint to the modern point of view. Uh, yeah. And it's funny that they call it horsepower, even though Astro Boy. Cause that's and... another thing. Like horsepower even then goes back yeah. further. It's like, okay, how many well, horses he's, is this? He's nuclear powered. Like yeah. he's, he's not internal combustion. He's got, he's got a fucking nuclear engine in him. So like, why is he, mm-hmm. why is he measuring horsepower? Uh, you know, but it's, it is interesting, and there's also something, even though it's the English translation, I've always loved the phrasing, a hundred thousand horsepower robot. It's good. It feels good to say. A hundred thousand horsepower robot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's old-fashioned. It's it's quaint. It. I mean, it, it feels nice. Um, so anyway, okay. So Pluto and Brando fight. Brando's destroyed. Yeah. Pluto has been injured in this fight and washes up on the beach uh, face down. And it's like, hey, I am in bad shape. I need yeah. you to call my the dude who made me. And Astro Boy is like, okay, how do I do that? He's like, I have a button on my chest. You press the button, they'll show up. 
And Astro Boy's like, okay, well, you are face down. I cannot press the button. And I do not think I can flip you over. And then we flip the page and uh, he turns <laughs> over. I don't over. know what the point of that was. It's so funny. That's the point of it. It's very yeah. good. <laughs> oh, oh, as a joke. That's what. But I, yes. but I can't push any buttons. Then he's like, boom. And he, he says, goes, there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Astro Boy hits the button and then him and Uran leave. They have like some sort of, I don't know. I think they say like, oh, next time we meet, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But um, the Sultan, and this yeah. is when we're introduced to Dr. Abula? Yes. Or, okay. The Sultan shows up with Dr. Abula, who is the Abula, person who actually has created Pluto, and says, like, why would you make me this robot that loses? Look, he's so beat up. Like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. This sucks. Yeah. And he's like, I, you, this can't happen again. So Dr. Abula says, okay, here's how this won't happen again. I'm going to rig him up so that if he ever loses, he'll self-destruct. Also, also, even more specifically, and this is just wild to me, Abula is like, I can't fucking believe he breaks down. This sucks. Abula is like, mm. Pluto's a robot. He can run out of energy and he can break down. Like, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Sure. And then Sultan's, the Sultan's like, no, that's stupid. That's unacceptable. Fix it. And then Abula climbs into Pluto and then he says, all right, he won't break down anymore. He'll just so die I guess, and explode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if he breaks down or loses, he explodes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's also really fun. Another example of Tezka's mechanics is Pluto's like face flips up. And we see that his head is actually mostly empty. And he just has like some some mechanics on the back of his face, which is normal for Tezka's robots. Most of them, their brains aren't in their heads. Uh, Astro Boy's brain isn't in his head. Um, heads are mostly just for emoting. Uh, they're mostly just for the faces and for, like, information gathering, which I just think is really interesting. Um, but, yeah, so they, they, fix, they fix Pluto up, and back at Astro Boy's place, who should show up but Gerhardt? Now... Okay, t- t- talk to yeah. me about this because this was this is my I, question. I looked as hard as I could. I could not find anything on the English internet regarding the name change. I okay, couldn't. so this is this is the main character of Pluto. Yes, this, this is, is the what same, I assume. It's the same but, guy. Okay. Yes. Um. I I don't know why it was changed. So. I looked at the name meanings. Gerhardt means something like sturdy spear or something like that. Very good German name. Sure. Gesicht, on the other hand, is German for face. It's just the word for the face of a person. Um, Damn, which that's I sick think as hell. <laughs> is really interesting. Um, you know, so... And I, I can kind of see it because, like, Gerhardt in this story is... Much more a run-and-gun type of a guy. Gerhardt's uh, my least favorite robot in this story oh, by yeah, a long no, he's, shot. He's but like, not very interesting. Which I think is, that's why it makes it so interesting that he becomes the main character of the Urasawa work. Yeah. Well, and um, I think if I had to, if I had to throw out a blind guess as the reason for the name change, it's because uh, as a character, he, uh, Gesicht holds almost no resemblance to the characterization, such as it is, of Other Gerhard. than the fact that he's German and a detective. Yeah, you know, like, even the other, like, the other robots, uh, I mean, all... Mont Blanc is one for one. 
Like Wonk that is, Wonk is I one mean, for one. Brando, Brando isn't as one for one, but like that feeling of revenge for his friend is very mm-hmm. similar. North number two, there's definitely similarities. Epsilon, very. There's a wait. lot happening can't there. Can't wait. So excited. You know, um, <laughs> but Gerhardt, nothing, nothing of, of Gerhardt makes it into Gesicht. And so yeah, I so- think that has a lot. I, I If I had to. That's my guess for why. Let me just, I'll run through Gerhardt's deal really quick because it is so fast. Gerhardt shows up to talk to Astro Boy about like, hey, this guy's been going around killing people. Do you know anything about it? Astro Boy says, yes, I do. And then they say, wow, you're made out of gold. And he says, no, I'm made out of zeronium. It's a special alloy that is not conductive, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Um, So then he leaves and immediately Pluto shows up and they get in a big fight. He rips off his coat. He's got a bunch of guns in his chest. They get in this little fight. Pluto tries to do the thing where he electrocutes him, but it doesn't work because his alloy is non-conductive. But then he kind of like sticks his horns into him or something and then springs him apart. Yeah, well, so what happens is that uh, Gerhardt is like holding onto both horns. He's got a horn in each hand. So then Pluto just pulls his horn about horns apart. Rips him in half. It is so fucking gnarly. It's insane. Yeah, it's wild. I was like, this is so violent for a children's comic. Like, that's gore. Like, yeah. I like I had more response to I this too. death than I have to most of the deaths in Monster. Like, I went like, oh my god. It was um, shocking. Yeah, I was like, oh no. Yeah. And <laughs> and there and there's Pluto saying four down. Um you know, standing like in the rain, standing over the the remains the corpse, of Gerhardt. The gears and springs. Four down. Ugh. Yeah. Um. So anyway, then um, Doctor Ochanamizu does some sort of science and figures out where yeah. the Sultan is. Yeah. Real quick, there's just plane. like oh. a, there's a panel of Ochanamizu doing science, and we see. Astro Boy in silhouette in the window, and it's so funny. He looks like a fucking FNAF villain. Like it's just a little silhouette with the white eyes. I'm like, what is that? That's it's so funny. So, <laughs> I, I love him. Just a little creep. Um, For real. So, Doctor Chanamizu flies out to the mountains where the Sultan is hiding with uh, Doctor Abula and confronts him and is like hey what are you doing and astro boy has snuck along like hanging on to the the bottom of the plane um pluto comes back from killing gerhardt and uh throws dr chanamizu down into a pit with all these alligators and astro boy goes in yeah and they're robot alligators which is great i love this this is like pulp adventure stuff like oh no robot robot alligators alligators that weren't even dangerous they were just supposed to trick astro boy into going down there yeah so so astro boy goes down and saves doctor or tries to save dr chanamizu and then is kind of sort of forced into this confrontation with pluto um but for some reason it's delayed i don't i don't remember why astro boy's allowed to leave for some reason does pluto let him leave because he'd saved him before uh no no he doesn't well Oh yeah, you mean like after, like at the end of the fight? So so Pluto. Oh, so they and, do fight. They step outside they do and fight they fight. Here. Yeah, okay. they step outside, and that is the funny thing. This is, is another that, like, important to, thing: yeah. is that every fight is preceded by okay, let's step outside so we don't hurt anyone, or hey, don't break the house, step outside. 
Like yeah. every single fight is preceded by this in a way that I think is like a little bit charming. Yeah, like Astro Boy's like he's flying at Pluto, and then Sultan's like, "Hey, stop!" And and we see Astro Boy just like like he does the the screech in midair with the <laughs> with the sound effect and everything. And the Sultan's like, "No fighting indoors. That's the rule. It'll destroy the building." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it's I just I just think that's funny that that's something that they care about. And you know what? It, it also. I feel like it, this is Quinn. This is what yeah. directly leads to this the the comics that are like, hey, what about the people who have to clean yes, up after superhero yes. fights? Yeah, and for real, Man of yeah, Steel and all of say. this stuff. Yeah, which it's hang a on, constant. Pause, yeah, okay. Very quickly, how do you yeah. feel about Man of Steel? Because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Uh, the movie. I'm gonna watch it again. The movie. The movie. I think it's fine. It's it's it's. I think it's good. I actually I think it yeah. is good. I will not give it more than that. I will not take anything away from it. I think it is good. I like my Superman with a different flavor, but sure. it's fun. I think it's Superman score is maybe my favorite Superman theme, like the that mm. the one from that movie. And I think mm. that the the third trailer for that movie, the one with the Jor-El narration about like they will follow you into the sun. Like I watch it maybe every 18 months and I'm just like, "Damn, Superman's good." I love being um, Superman. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay, back yeah, to so they're, the they're about to fight, back. and Pluto asks how Oran's doing, and he's like, mm. hey, Astro's but she's waiting for me. Like, well, what do you care? And what are Pluto's you talking like, about? Yeah. Pluto's like, I was just thinking how sad she'll be when I destroy you. And like, and not even in like a like a mustache twirling way, just in a like in a very Genuine. legitimate, yeah. like earnest, like man. It really sucks I've got to kill you because she's going to be really sad, you know? Uh, like, it's so clear. Like, Pluto's character. He doesn't want to do this. He he actively does not want to. He doesn't care enough not to. Or maybe he's just, like, resigned to it. He doesn't see himself as having a choice. But he certainly takes no pleasure in it. Um, it's, yeah. And I, I actually think, like, if we're talking about how to characterize a robot, how do you characterize something sentient that at the same time has inbuilt things that it cannot go against? God, this we is just talk really... about like AI and algorithms I, and stuff here I for know. a while. Like there's that whole idea that like, oh, data is objective and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But like, you know, it's this whole kind of press conference that well, tech guys have been really... doing for the past five to seven years yeah. where they talk about data and you ignore the biases of the people who have created the algorithms that are doing <laughs> these horrible things that we live with. You yeah. know, it's we don't have to get into that today because that's not important to the story that we're talking no. about. But, but, but I is, do think I it's mean, interesting that even in the 60s, it's like, hey, at the core of the things that this horrible robot is doing is just this shitty dude who was like, I want you to go kill all these robots. Yeah. You know, um, and I also think like. One thing that I notice when like when I have read classic sci-fi regarding robots and artificial intelligence. And it's been a long time, right? So nobody jump on me if I'm fucking wrong. But none of them spend a lot of time on the how, which is mm. obvious because how the fuck would you do that? They just say the brain is so advanced it became indistinguishable. They don't really describe what that means because nobody knows what it means even now. But it's clear, you know, like 
it's easy to say that the writers back then would be interested in modern artificial intelligence. But I think mm -hmm. the writers from back then would pretty quickly recognize the fucking difference because the whole point to them was that we had created something that by accident had a soul. And this is kind of the difference between like how it's thought about then and how it's thought about now is people have yeah. bought into the lie, right? It's like the, yeah. the stuff has a now soul. Now we're thinking, isn't just now we're thinking that we can yeah. intentionally create a soul when the fucking fact is that even classic science fiction, you were never really creating it. You just no. got lucky or mm -hmm. unlucky as the case may have been, you know? And the fact that people are like using this conceptual model uh, to, to describe, to describe their, their autocorrect is just so insulting. Um, yeah, love it. But anyway, you know, but again, talking about how this is characterizing Pluto, I think it's a cool way to represent what a person would look like if they had rules implanted directly in their brain. Yeah, no, I, um, it's, it's good. I, I like Pluto a lot. There's the little note, we kind of glossed over it, but there's the bit where Tenma talks, or not Tenma, where Tezka talks directly to the audience and says like, hey, you know, here's when this story was coming out. And they, he says, I got a lot of fan mail about like how upset people were when Pluto was destroyed. And, you know, it was because I intentionally mm. made Pluto a character that was like, not just straightforward a villain, but was like, you know, had things that they cared about and other, and you know, had some spark of good in them. Um, yeah. And I think that is, um, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's, it's important to, to think about um, that there's that life separate from the directive, like you said. Um, but anyway, this fight kind of ends in a, you know, a wet fart a little bit. Astro Boy goes back to Japan. Dr. Ochanamizu is yeah. still here. Trapped well, in the specifically, mountains. specifically what happens is, Astro Boy loses the fight because Pluto mm -hmm. catches him, but then Pluto spares yes. him because he because Astro had saved his life uh, before, and this also characterizes Pluto as as an honorable Fair. person. And honor keeps coming up a lot, right? Like yes. what is honorable for a robot? Kind of this sense of honor, and almost even I mean, because like all the robots are national robots is the other thing mm -hmm. that I think Except is like Pluto, notable. Technically, Except Pluto, Pluto has no nation. Right, and Bora. the Sultan is exiled, and yeah. Yeah, Bora is a whole other, <laughs> a whole other thing that I love yeah. so much. Um, <laughs> spoilers: My favorite robot is Bora. <laughs> it's so fun! Um, love that that's your favorite. That makes sense yeah. that it's your favorite. It does. Um, but anyway, so there's that. Uh, that's that's kind of how that ends. Do we then go immediately to Hercules and Epsilon? Um, let me see. Yeah, yeah. So then we then we jump to uh, the Acropolis and another two of the greatest robots, uh, Hercules and Epsilon, meet up and they're like, "Hey, Epsilon's did you get this like, letter? <laughs> yeah, like I got this. Do you want to like team up or something?" And Hercules is like, "No." And to prove how not afraid I am, let me destroy the priceless ruin that. that is the Acropolis. <laughs> Just kaboom, the Acropolis is gone. One of the most valuable things of my country's history. I will destroy <laughs> it with my spear. Um, it is very funny. Uh, yeah, I love so that So anyways, yeah. yeah. Epsilon kind of says, all right, we're not fine together. I'm just going to sit back here and watch you do this. Um, yeah. well, well, specifically, Hercules is like, I do not want your help. Yes, You're an ad. it would like, be dishonorable for me to yeah. fight like two on one. Yes. Um... Right. So and Pluto then, shows up. Well, first off, f 
first off, before Pluto shows up, we jump back to Japan and Tenma shows mm. up. Oh, uh, yes. Dr. Tenma, of course, being the scientist who created Astro Boy in the first place. And Tenma shows up and he's like, hey, dude, I can give you a million horsepower. And Astro's like, oh, man, oh, fuck. Um, and, but he, think, but like, he goes for it. It, it. Part of this is just because, Quinn, you're not a The Office person, are you? You're a couple years younger than me, so I think no, that I is have, like... No, I have seen it. I have watched it. I've watched okay. all of it. I wouldn't do it, it again. But is it important to you in the way that it is to me? Probably not. No, definitely not. But what, I'm at the tail end of like, so this is the, I think, distinction between millennial and Gen Z, right? It's like, I think Gen Z <laughs> finds The Office cringe. But millennials love it. And I'm like right on the very end of, because I'm, I'm split between millennial and Gen Z. But like, I would call myself right in the middle. I, don't, I okay. don't think I fall fully in either camp. I don't love it, but I don't sure. hate it. Anyway, I'm re-watching The Office because on Peacock, um, they have extended cuts of all of the episodes now that have deleted scenes. Whoa, uh, that's Which is crazy. a wild thing that that's I have a lot of thoughts about. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So the episodes are like twice as long. There's some scenes that I don't what? think are very good. Yeah, it's bananas. Um, what? what? Yeah, because so much of that show, I guess, was just like, okay, we've written some scenes, and then here's improv and other we're just things. Gonna, and we're like, just going to like try all this stuff out and just yeah, package the best stuff into I, an episode. I, I that's crazy that that's how they wrote it. That's it's nuts. Wild. Wow. I don't think that these extended cuts are anywhere near as good as the originals, but it is well, interesting as someone who's yeah. a fan of that show to then see these extended scenes. So mm -hmm. that is a long way of me saying I've been watching this show a lot again. <laughs> yeah, the person that I would cast as Dr. Tenma is uh. Creed from The Office. I would just make Creed <laughs> Dr. Tenma. <laughs> hey, kid, you want Why? a million horsepower? <laughs> God. Oh, that's real. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Ryan oh. is Astro Boy. Kelly is Iran. <laughs> I've thought about this as much as you can make me. Oh, yeah, we'll move on. But anyway, Dr. <laughs> Tema shows up. Yeah. He's spooky and scary, yeah. and we don't like him. And... Oh. You gotta go Just step out? Well, I gotta... My is, my is vacuuming. Okay, no worries. I gotta... Okay, thank you, Maya. I think we're almost done. I think we've probably got like half an hour or 20 minutes left. We're halfway through the story, but we've also said a lot of the well, big but stuff. But like, I think we've gotten through most of the big parts. I, th I think thing. we have. Yeah. Well, okay. So, one million horsepower. And Astra's pretty conflicted about about And there's a really good panel horsepower. where the words one million horsepower kind of like swirl around him a little bit. Yeah. You know, and he, like, sees... There's, like, a spiral, and he's, like, throwing a bunch of Plutos around. Um, it is really interesting. And then we get to... Uh, and then we get to the Sultan's backstory, 
which is interesting. And real quick, I want to talk about the geopolitical praxis here. I did a tiny bit. Yes. I did a tiny bit of research. So um, the political situation in the Middle East in the 1960s was fucking worlds apart from from what it is today. And, and the representation here means something very different than it might to the modern eye. So in the 1960s, in, in many Middle Eastern states, or at least the urban areas of those states, there was a big push towards political change, secularism, and an emphasis on individual freedom, kind of in that Western mold and concept, right? A lot of those states were established in the years following the Second World War, as they kind of uh, uh, freed themselves from European colonialism of varying degrees, and uh, establish, you know, parliaments and, and governments of their of their own choosing, right? So we shouldn't see the Sultan as representing the Middle East, but rather as representing what the Middle East at the time was perceived to be pushing mm. against as a symbol of an autocratic and greedy past, um, and and as someone who had been ousted as a result of positive social, cultural, and political change. Um, now, this was obviously a pretty quick rundown. If any of you listeners know more about this topic than I do, if I got something wrong, send us an email at urasawaboys at gmail.com with uh, corrections, and I'll put that correction into the show notes. You know, um, I just spent a little bit of time on this just to, just to kind of see where Tezka might have been coming from to see, like, the kind of headlines he might have been reading over the last decade before he wrote this story, uh, you know, and... Because it's very easy for us to to look at this and go, you know, because you can't get over the depiction of the Middle East mm -hmm. in, in modern media. It's very difficult to remove that from our minds. Uh, but the context of depicting it was just completely different. Uh, that said, it was very common to orientalize and exoticize the Middle East, and yeah. I do think we see that. Oh, um, yeah. My, uh, so my edition has a note at the front after the foreword that says, like, hang on, let me, I, will, I can just read yeah, what it. Is it. What um, does it say? Because it, it's Did the I... same as the note that we have before all Looney Tunes uh -huh. cartoons now, which I'm sure you've seen. Right. right? Um, where it says, many non-Japanese, including people from Africa and Southeast Asia, appear in, Ozuma, in Osamu Tezuka's works. Sometimes these people are depicted very differently from the way they actually are in a manner that exaggerates a time long past or shows them to be from extremely undeveloped lands. Some feel that such images contribute to racial discrimination, especially against people of African descent. This was never Tesco's intent, but we believe that as long as there are people who feel insulted or demeaned by these drawings, we must not ignore their feelings. We are against all forms of discrimination and intend to continue to work for its elimination. Nonetheless, we do not believe it would be proper to revise these works. Tesco is no longer with us, and we cannot erase what he has done and to alter his work would only violate his rights as a creator more importantly stopping publication or changing the content of his work would do little to solve the problems with discrimination that exists in the world and then it goes on to say we're presenting as it appeared blah 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 yeah, blah yeah. it's classic. just one of those but it's kind of the yeah. you know it takes a little bit of a middle ground in a way that i'm not sure how i feel about but you know it's it, it's it's historical stuff exists in a yeah. historical context and that's the way it is yeah you know so Anyway, so just wanted to say that the yeah. historical context of this depiction is not what our knee-jerk reaction tells us it would be. And that's important because, especially as Americans, 
that have been bombarded with a whole lot of propaganda for the last 20 years, uh, you know, it's important to, it's important to recognize when we have a knee-jerk reaction one way or the other. And just remind ourselves that the way we think about things now uh, has fucking nothing to do with how people thought about things back then. Yeah. Um, the, I, I will just quickly recommend um, the podcast Blowback, which has done a lot of series. The current season right now is on Afghanistan. I think the first season was on Iraq. There was one on North Korea. I do not remember what the third season was about, but it touches on a lot of the things that Quinn kind of quickly ran through. Yeah. Um, yeah, good podcast, it seems like the nineteen sixties in the Middle East was a really, really interesting. I think and just in general, in the world, time. the nineteen sixties were a crazy yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, but yes, anyway. in the Middle East especially. So, uh, with that said, uh, Pluto, uh, the Sultan's like, "All right, Pluto, your next match is with Hercules," and then Pluto busts out of the wall again, uh, and uh, Pluto and Hercules get to fighting. Uh, and Hercules has a robo chariot. Love the robo chariot. When it shows up, I went hell yeah. Yeah, um, the the horses got little rockets on their feet, buddy. It's great. Um, this is a good fight. Like this is a good one. Um, they just they're beating the stuffing out of each other for a little while. When um, Hercules is eventually defeated, like Pluto chops one of his arms off and does the classic kind of anime like sword slash. It's like ha ha ha, you missed me, and it's like no wait, and then the guy slides in half and. You know, that sort of thing. But Hercules yeah. realizes one of his arms has been chopped off and then kind of shoots all of the rest of his limbs off one by one trying to defeat yeah. Pluto. There was also something very, very fun that happened that characterizes Hercules. Uh, so Pluto took Hercules' spear and then he he throws it back for Hercules and he's like, here, I give it back. And Hercules breaks it. He's like, you took it away from me, mm. so I'm not going to use it anymore. You know, fucking... And Pluto's like... Okay, but why would you do that? Yes. Uh, and Hercules says, in ancient Troy, warriors preferred death over pity from their enemies. And and then he and then he uh, starts launching all of his body parts at uh, at Pluto. Um. Yeah. D and is this? He, do they he, both get locked into the self destruct sequence? Is this where it he, happens? No, no, no. He pins Pluto down uh, and. Uh, and they get into a battle where they're both, like, sending electromagnetic pulses at each other. Okay. And Hercules thinks he wins for a second, and then he explodes. Sure. Again, um, very much a Marvel ruins moment. Just kind of, you know, senseless violence and death and destruction. I actually, I'm, not, I'm familiar with Marvel zombies, but not with Marvel ruins. Marvel ruins... Who is it by? It was by Let some me look fucking... It up. Yeah, Google it. Because Zombies it's by is a... by Kirkman, is the thing that's like, Ruins that I forget. is older than you might expect. It was probably one of the first of the... Kirbusik. That makes sense. Buzik uh, written by... Ruins? No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The series conceived by Alice is a parody of the Busick one. Okay. It's Warren Ellis, of course. Uh, of course it's Warren Ellis. Yeah, okay. Um... I was, you know, we I, make we, it was either Ellis like or Millar because Warren Ellis like, was someone who was, you know, credibly yeah. accused of a bunch so of so many of us. Dot com. Um, yeah. yeah, I my money. I mean, I guess my money wasn't on Millar because I thought it happened like before Millar was super active. But I could have also fucking seen it be Millar. Anyway, fucking Millar, what a creep. Um, yeah, I don't like Mark so, Millar. So 
Pluto kills Hercules. Uh, that's five down. Um, and he's like, Epsilon, then we go back to... you want to go? You want to oh, go? Yeah. And Epsilon's like, uh, yeah, can I, can we do it in Australia? Can we, um, go do it in Australia? Uh, um, yeah. I'm no, so I'm glad you die. did this. Cause I I'm was trying die. to do the Australian accent. I, every once I was like, in a while, I can't, can't do it. I, I watched Deadlock too long ago. I had a really good Australian for like two months in. after, after I watched Deadlock and I don't know if it's still on me. Um, that was okay. That was better than the one that I was trying to do before yeah. we started recording. So, peoples. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um. Um. <laughs> it's really, really wasn't bad. Uh, but yeah. So he, you know, and before Epsilon goes home, he's like, "I, I'd like to say farewell to the children in my country." And then he goes, and we're like, "What children? What? What does that mean?" Yeah. And then. We get to the fun scene. Great. Fantastic stuff. Love the this. fucking fun scene. Matt, what's the fun scene? So, okay. So Tenma and Uran and Astro Boy show up at the Ministry of Science, where there is the slab where Astro Boy was created. Extremely Frankenstein stuff. And Tenma's like, have Astro, seen, do you recognize have you ever this? Have seen Astro Boy's, like, like, a depiction of how he was awakened? It's straight Frankenstein. I've it's, seen it in the Game straight, Boy game, and that's it. Maybe it's yeah. straight Metropolis, but also Metropolis was Frankenstein, so like... Okay, I'm not but, familiar with it, but I, I know it, like I said, from the Game Boy game. But Ten was yeah. like, Astro, do you recognize this? And he's like, yeah, this is where I was made. Um, are you sure we're allowed to be here? And Ten was like, yes, we're doing this to save Dr. Ochanamizu. He's the head of the science department. Everyone will understand. It'll be okay. Um, and Uran's like, uh, are we sure, sure, sure that this is going to be okay? No, Uran's like, very sure. Astro's, Astro's more okay. hesitant. You're right. Yeah, Uran is like, this is great. This is awesome. She says, you could probably punch out the whole earth. Okay, I, you're, you're right. This is the way that it goes because yeah. Tenma has to explain to her like, hey, after I do this, you need to be careful because there's a chance that Astro Boy could go berserk. Because he's got too much juice running through his little circuits. Yeah, and then we get a we get a mechanical cutaway, a la Star Wars. Yes, uh, of the whole cross section of Astro Boy and all his yes. bits and pieces, his voice synthesizer box, all of his all of his different yeah. little bits and pieces. And as we see, his his brain is in the middle of his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tenma ramps him up to one million horsepower. Um, and at, when Astro awakens, his hair, his black kind of, you know, little bowl cut with the two little points is bright white, which this is, I've realized now this is mm-hmm. the other piece. He's super yes, Saiyan. Yes, it is. This uh, is super Saiyan. Like super, there is not a fucking doubt in my mind that super Saiyan is just one million horsepower. Yeah. I mean, so he goes Super Saiyan. Um, the thing that I noted specifically was the phrasing of your body may go berserk, which, as, as the listeners know, my favorite anime is Neon Genesis Evangelion. There is <laughs> you know, the Avas go berserk. Dr. Tenma is just the template for Gendo Akari is the thing oh here. Oh, my God. Like, horrible father oh figure who God. shows up and is like, hey, we're yeah. doing this to accomplish, Jesus. you know. Yeah, it's it's You're all here. so right. God damn, and again, and this is the thing. This is the fucking thing that, like, you're like, well, how important is Tesca really? This is how important Tesca is. It's this Tesca important. Is. Yeah. It's this, important. It, this is like, I, uh, it's like how when you talk about modern rock, you have to talk about Doolittle. Like, you can't mm-hmm. not talk mm-hmm. about Doolittle. Um, yeah. 
you know, it's just, this is talking about just about everything. Uh, uh, Princess Knight was an anime that Tezuka did that people don't really know about these days, uh, but which was about a girl hero that was kind of androgynously dressed, Princess Knight, uh, and wasn't actually allowed to be shown in the United States because of because of that that gender that that gender stuff um and it was an an incredibly important forerunner for shoujo it's just, i was gonna say is that sailor moon the way that you've just described yes, it yes yes That's it is wild. directly <laughs> tesca people we're not exaggerating like yeah oh, um so anyway, so then then Astro just flies around and he goes crazy. And then he actually tracks down Pluto and just like just hits him really hard. And uh, they have a fight, but Astro's out of control, and so he hits a rock in the middle of the ocean and he gets buried in a bunch of in a bunch of mud. Pluto can't get him. And so Pluto goes to Japan and he tells Tenma and Ura and he's like, hey, so something went wrong he was running way um, too hot yeah yeah he hit a rock i think that like literally that's what he says which yeah, is he, so funny astro boy crashed into a rock and was broken <laughs> uh yeah yeah ten was like did so you won the duel and pluto's like no i didn't the the thing that I noted from this that I think is so interesting, aside from so Pluto apologizes to Uran and not to Tenma and says like I'm sorry I fucked up your brother is basically yeah. what. But then the thing that Tenma says is, I, you know, I shouldn't have made him one million horsepower. I loved him and I was afraid you'd destroy him. Which like that's not the way that I read what just happened. Like that's not why I thought you made him one million horsepower. It but, kind of like, seems like you just wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, man, yeah. it's so good. And this, you know is, what else? You know one... what else that reminds me of? What? That's um, that's uh, ah oh, fuck, I can't remember Gundam Boy's name. Oh but it yeah, reminds me yeah, of yeah, Gundam yeah, yeah, Boy yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, who is also it's just another of <sighs> that Shit, kind of da- fucking right. Why like, can't I we remember his name? I because I can remember I... Shinji getting the robot Shinji. It's um, what's Hero Boy's name? Ah, Amuro, Amuro, Amuro Ray. Yeah, it's Doctor Ray. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Ray. So this also Dr. Dr. Ray moment. Um yeah. Uh which I mean Man. it makes sense cuz Shin- Yeah, cuz Shinji is, is that guy specifically. Well. Yeah. Um but, I mean like yeah. honestly we can even see Astro Boy's reluctance to go 1 million horsepower is the, you know, getting the robot Shinji, all that <laughs> stuff. And like that goes back I mean that goes back to Amuro too, but yeah. anyway. Um So, yeah. Is this so, where Pluto says the thing? Pluto says, if I find Astro and bring him back, will you promise to be my friend? But he says another thing, too, in this oh, moment. Which other he thing says, did you say? I don't have feelings like love or hate. I'm just fighting other robots because that's oh, what I'm told to do. fuck a duck. Where does he say that? It's not in this sequence. Is but it yeah, not? I thought it was. That. It might be later. It might be. It I might guess be it's later. Near the, yeah. final, near the final fight. But those two things, I think, are the, like, the def- it's like, now Pluto is, like, even more defined of a personality, right? Yeah. It's like, we're seeing it come through, and it's... He doesn't feel, he doesn't, like, feel the same things, but he, he wants connection. Yeah. He wants he to wants be more. He wants to be his friend. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to, yeah, it's, oh. Yeah. Man. Good. Um, yeah, and then we're off to Australia, and all of the kids at the orphanage 
I imagine out of the orphanage anyway. It's got to be an like, orphanage. Uncle, Uncle Epsilon. And then he's like, no, I'm leaving. I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a little kid with a lasso who's like tied his feet up. Oh, it's so goodbye. sad. It's, yeah. it's so sad. Like he walks away and like there's the all kids you hear the kids. You hear the kids crying no. like out the window. It's so, yeah. it's so sad. Uh, so then, then Epsilon goes, yeah. he's going to fight Pluto, but Pluto's like, hey, I know we're going to fight, but actually I need your help with this other thing. Astro Boy is stuck in the ocean and I cannot get him out. I need your help. So they fly down to the ocean and we get a nice little sciencey explanation of what silt is and how it works and things like that. And Epsilon's like, okay, you're too heavy to get Astro Boy out. I'll pull him out. But then on the sidelines, Epsilon has the thought, I can't beat Pluto. Maybe what I need to do is just trap him down here. And I know that's like dishonorable and that's not fair or cool because he's asked me to help him. But I think this is the only way out of this. Um, so he's kind of conflicted for a minute. And the two of them work together. They save Astro Boy. And then Epsilon does a little thing where he's like, oops, a piece fell out. I need you to go get it. And then yeah, Pluto and then goes Pluto to get it. sinks. He sinks, sinks down. into the sand. You know, Help and... me, Epsilon. Ah! Yeah. And, and Epsilon has a moment where he's like, I feel like a fucking coward, you know? Mm-hmm. And and he he feels bad because because all the other robots have have fought Pluto, and and he's like I feel bad, but I also love those children, and I do not want to die. Um, and this is probably the like right next to the one million horsepower scene. This is probably the coolest scene in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking, when I, when I said earlier about how Tezka is approaching, he's trying to teach kids critical thinking and nuance and what it means to live a complicated life in a complicated world as a complicated person. I think that this scene is really, really impactful, you know, cause it's, cause they're, there are no easy answers. This is such a complicated situation. Yeah. I mean, because what ends up happening is Epsilon saves Pluto. He does this little thing. Epsilon's yeah. like defining character. He's got this big like antenna on the top of his head. And he's, he zoots his little antenna out and Pluto grabs onto it and he pulls him out of the silt. Um, and in doing this, basically, he, he dooms himself because Epsilon, like all the other greatest robots on Earth, is killed by Pluto eventually. Um, and he could have left him down here, but doesn't because he knows that it's not the right thing to do. Um, so he saves him and then it's the same kind of, oh, we live to fight again another day. And then they, they zoot off to where they're going and we get a couple more scenes before that fight. Yeah. And then there's, so, so Pluto brings Astro back to Japan and that's when he has the scene with Uran where he says, I don't have feelings like love or hate. And, and Uran is like, feels sorry for him and, and apologizes for being mean to him. And, and she goes inside, I'm tearing up a little bit, honestly, I'm tearing up yeah. a little bit, frankly, she goes inside and she gets her quote, number one favorite stickers. And she puts, she puts them on Pluto because he saved, she saved Astro, you know, and, and she's like, can you promise not to fight Astro? And he's like, no, I can't. Yeah um it's it's a really good moment i am the uran stuff the more that we've that like reading this twice this is i think what i'm most curious to see how this is adapted um because it's so 
it's Uran acts as an audience circuit, right? Like she's a, a young girl. The people reading this are children, right? Like this is the thing that kids would relate to is giving your friends their stickers and things like that. And it's this complicated thing. Like, like you said, I mean, it's, it's just, it's heartbreaking, right? Like it's, yeah. it's this guy who, who wants to be able to love and be friends and all these things. But like, nope, his role in life is you got to destroy all these robots and you're this big violent monster. Uh, you're a tool, a weapon, all these things. And that is what the people who made him consider is that's what makes you the greatest robot on earth. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's good. This is a, this is a very good moment. Yeah. It's pretty fucking good. Um, and then we meet Bora. Woo! Bora's so stupid. I love him so much. <laughs> Talk to me about Bora, Matt. Bora, so the Sultan is like, yeah, this is it. I got the greatest robot on Earth. And then a guy shows up and it's like, nuh-uh, I've got the greatest robot on Earth. <laughs> and Bora blasts through the wall. And it's this big blobby monster that just looks like the Michelin Man. And the guy's like, um, this is my robot, Bora. And the Sultan's like, Bora? And then the robot, like, flexes his muscles and goes, Bora! And, like, blasts out of, you know, air yeah. and stuff gets well, all fucked up. so I have a, there's actually a very important fun fact. Matt, did you know that Bora means something? Does it mean, like, blast of air? Because this was my guess. More specifically, Bora refers to a specific wind. Okay. Uh, that happens near the Adriatic Sea, especially the Eastern Adriatic Sea, particularly in winter. It's incredibly powerful Arctic wind blasts okay. that happen throughout the season. Um, and so that's that's what this uh, robot is named after. And, fun fact, it is also the name of a one-off villain in, I believe, an X-Men manual, or manual, annual, uh, from the Claremont run, which I own, which is why I know what the word Bora means. Thank you, Chris Claremont. We love you. Thank and you, Chris weird, Claremont. Your weird, your weird, your weird thirty-year run of X Men. Like, uh, what a guy. Um, uh, I have learned about the Siege Perilous just so I can be more like Scott Pilgrim because there's that scene where he's explaining the Siege Perilous and Wolverine being crucified on the X cross in I think it's Scott Pilgrim number five. <laughs> I gotta get Anyways. around to reading the Claremont. Run. Anyway, no, you don't. I don't think any of us. Yes, do, I, but I think we. I think yeah, it's good. It's weird. There's I'm weird sure stuff in good. there, but it's good. But anyway, um, so Bora shows up. Bora's great, uh, and the Sultan is like, "Oh no! How can this be? A more powerful robot than Pluto? I hate this. This is not good." Um, and uh, Ochanamizu is still there, and he's like, "What is going on? Who is this guy?" And this is kind of where it comes up. Like he asks the Sultan, he's like, "So who exactly did you hire to build Pluto for you?" And the Sultan's like, "I don't know, some guy." He's like, "You just hired <laughs> yeah. some guy and told some him to make you, the- <laughs> dude." And the Sultan's like, "I paid him, so who cares?" I pay him a million dollars a month. He's good at his job. I've got the strongest robot on Earth. <laughs> Which sounds off so much like modern tech bros. It's insane. Yes, it's um, very like, funny. If that is not just Elon fucking Musk, <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's really funny. Yeah, and then back to Japan. Astro's back up and running, and he's got his million horsepower under control. He does some feats of strength some tests and stuff. Of it. He flies through some, you know, thick steel and all these yeah. things, and. 
picks up a boat and all the people are like, holy cow, look how strong Astro Boy is. He's a monster. And then Astro Boy feels conflicted about this, yeah. you know, that yep. he's so powerful that people now consider him a monster. Yes. Which, again, is more thought given to the concept of power scaling than any modern shonen in the last 20 years. Uh-huh. People are never afraid of Goku. They love him the whole yeah. time. Yeah. No one's like, should we be worried that this dude can punch out God? They're all like, ha, good job, Goku. We love Goku. Spirit bomb. Which, yeah. like... <laughs> Believe me, I'm lined up to do the spirit bomb for Goku. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's it's just interesting, the perspective that this story takes on it. Um, yes. Uh, Tenma uh, leaves, because uh, you might not know, Tenma is such an asshole. He's, Tenma is a jerk. He's, he's just in-universe, in-character. He's a jerk. Nobody likes him. Um, not even Astro really likes him. Yeah, he's um, the deadbeat dad. That's his he whole thing. Is, like, he's a deadbeat dad who shows up to do science stuff sometimes. Uh, you know, but he leaves, and as he's leaving, he's like, Pluto calls himself the world's greatest robot, but you know what? He's really not. You're the greatest, Astro. Um, which, interesting. Um, yeah, we come back to this a little bit later with what Ochanamizu talks about what he thinks it means to be the greatest robot um yeah well he actually this... it was a it was a couple pages previous he was telling it to the sultan he okay was like the so best we, robot he, is the nicest one is like it's the one that is the most useful and the kindest and then and then the sultan groucho marks ah shut up um <laughs> so yeah and uh so then and, there's the epsilon fight right is and the next there's thing? the epsilon fight yep which isn't uh a well, I guess it. I guess it is a fight. Epsilon gets distracted because a kid, a kid, uh, comes out of of his house, uh, and then that kind of gives Pluto the opening he needs. Yeah, the only Pluto thing that I really like him. about the Epsilon fight is that you know when he's destroyed, the kid is still holding on to like his arm or something. Yeah, right? like, he's ripped yeah. Apart. His arms, his arms stay wrapped around the kid, even yeah. as even as Pluto tears him away and 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 zaps him to death. You know, and that's, I mean, that's a, a hell of an image is his hands. Is his hands holding onto that kid. It's real good. Um, yeah. So then from there, I think we just jump straight to the volcano, right? Yeah. Well, technically the, the, the boat thing happens in here. Okay. Um, in between here. Yeah. It's, yeah I got all yeah. jumbled around there, but. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we go to the volcano. Pluto's there by himself a bit. And he's kind of talking to himself and he's like, man, man, going to fight. I uh I hope I win. Uh but even if I lose I'm going to blow up. So you know, Anti does mention that being on the volcano means that uh his explosion won't hurt anybody. So he's thinking about innocence as well. Mhm. And So they get in their whole uh, fight. Yeah, uh Goji, Dr. Goji, who's the who's the creator of of Bora and Bora show up. Uh, I love Bora. I love looking. I at love this Bora. Strange... Bora looks so cool. He's so weird. It's just so funny. I imagine Tesco sitting there and drawing him and being like, "Yeah, good," because <laughs> <laughs> he's just a blob compared to all the he's other very robots. Blobby. It's but just like know. it's truly the end result of okay, if we're just focused on power and strength, yeah, like it's just like, a blob that is the strongest thing you've ever seen in the world. Yeah, you know, it's the because Pluto was designed with individuality, you know, mm-hmm. with a with a sense of design. 
Bora. Bora doesn't talk. Bora just says Bora and blasts yeah. wind at people. Yeah, pure, pure strength. Uh, very interesting thing. Uh, um, and, and he's like, he's like, Bora's gonna fight whoever wins your duel, and <laughs> and you know, and he's gonna win, and then this whole thing will be for nothing, uh, which is very funny. Um, um, so Astro Boy and Pluto fight. The volcano starts erupting, maybe because of their fight. Yes. Well, before they fight, the identity. Uh, oh. Well, not the identity, but we find out that Doctor Goji and Abula are the same person. Um, so the same guy made both robots. Yeah, uh, and his reasoning is like, well, I wanted to take you down a peg, so I figured I'd build you the strongest robot and then build a stronger one to beat it. And yeah. the Sultan is like, how could this possibly be? Oh it's, my word! I, that, that's crazy. It's all. I. I it is funny that. Uh, he was making a less good best robot on Earth. Uh, it's for so Sultan. funny. It's so silly. <laughs> yeah. And I can imagine kids reading this and being like, yes, this makes perfect sense to me. Of yeah! course. Yeah. <laughs> One million plus. Um, yeah, and then there's the the final Pluto Astro fight. Uh, and it's a pretty good fight. Yeah. Um... And then, yeah, the volcano starts exploding, and uh, Astro's like, "All right, we can't, we can't fight right now because I've got to stop this fucking thing from exploding." So he starts piling up rocks. To... And he tells Pluto to help him, and this yeah. is where the circuits thing comes in, where yeah. that you mentioned earlier, where the Sultan's like, "Pluto's circuits don't let him help." Yeah, he can't and do then, that. Yeah, and then Achanamizu was like, "Well, what about Bora?" And Goji's like, "Bora doesn't have that either." And Achanamizu says a very important line. This is the craziest thing, I, craziest thing I've heard of. We've got two giant robots here, and both are useless. Yes. Which is such a great... It's such a great way to show, like, a weapon's a fucking weapon. A nuke is a fucking nuke. Uh -huh. Like, we have all of this technology and all of this power, and we're using it for something that builds and creates nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but at the last moment, against all odds, against all logic, Pluto is able to help Astro Boy stack the rocks and stop the volcano. Um, Astro Boy leaves with Dr. Ochenomizu? Or not? I don't know. Does the final fight happen kind of here on screen? The last reveal? This uh, all kind of yeah, so is Pluto, weird and funky. Pluto helps... I mean, because ultimately what happens is Pluto and Bora are both destroyed in stopping the volcano from erupting. Um, uh, no, no, not not quite, no. They fix... So Pluto does end up helping Astro with stopping the volcano. And, um... And then Pluto's like, I would really... I do not want to fight you anymore. And mm. so they decide not to fight. And so Astro leaves. Uh, but there's Bora. So Bora, Bora fights Pluto. And Pluto loses pretty bad. Uh, Astro does actually Flies get through into, Bora's chest. It like yeah, explodes so him. He, he, gets, he gets Bora out. And then Pluto still exploded because Pluto lost to Bora. Yeah. And then the Sultan starts crying because Pluto's dead. 
And then Dr. Goji slash Abula reveals himself to be... A robot. A robot. He used to be the Sultan's robot uh, manservant. Yeah. Uh, so it, apparently he just... He became, became a robot expert during yeah, the uprising? He, be, he became a bulla because he wanted to help the Sultan attain his dream. But then when Pluto... Then when he realized what a what the Sultan wanted to do with Pluto, and he was like, well, this sucks. So then he started making Bora to show the Sultan how useless it all is. Honestly, this wraps up so weirdly quickly. Yeah. I, it's it's I don't love easily this. This the weakest the one part, thing. Uh-huh. I'd forgotten that this was how it ended, and my note from when I read it today was, oh, yeah, I forgot this was how it ended. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It wrapped. I I don't know. It's a why. choice. Yeah, it. Um, I mean, I guess like weekly manga, you don't have a lot of time for denouement. You got to be on sure. to the next thing. Yeah, <clears throat> but but still, I do find it odd. Yeah, it's um, it's funky, but you yeah. know, I I kind of get where it's coming from. I mean, we talked a lot about the idea of the the relationship that these robots have with each other, as opposed to their humans and directives and things like that. So, I think you could scaffold out something that's a little bit more meaningful. But it really does feel like at the end of this, like, okay, whew, we did it. It's over. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and on the last page, there's you know a really important exchange where Astro asks. How come robots fight when they don't really hate each other? Yes. And Achanamizu says, I don't really know, but maybe it's because humans make them do it. Which is a pretty clever little way of saying, why do people fight when they don't really hate each other? Maybe it's the fucking government. Yeah. Maybe so. it's the people in power that don't recognize the value of human life. Mm-hmm. You know. It's a, it's a powerful it's ending. I mean, because there's the drawing of Astro Boy standing at the top of the volcano with kind of the arc going over his head, remembering mm -hmm. all the different robots that have, have perished in this kind of, you know, quest to become the greatest robot on Earth. So, um, yeah, that's that's it. I mean, I don't I don't really have any. I think we've talked about everything that I had in my notes. I mean, the last things that I had were about nuclear proliferation in the Middle East and things like that. And we already hit those. So, like, yeah, we did. That's everything I wanted to say. I think I think we have we have talked fully about the greatest robot on earth and the greatest robot on earth you mean my air fryer <laughs> that's that's the one <laughs> uh clearly you don't own an astro boy um I don't but I do love my air fryer mm -hmm. but yeah so you know listeners I hope that I hope that after this episode you can have kind of an appreciation for the place that this character and this creator and this story has in in the world of manga and and i hope that since we've you know done a little bit of dissecting of the themes and what matters about the story and now we get to take all of this awesome groundwork forward into talking about pluto as an adaptation as a as its own story as well like there's so much to dig into and i definitely think that after having talked about it i'm even more even more interested to talk about pluto uh and i i think that 
this is going to give us a lot more material to work with as we as we wade into it. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. This was, you know, I, I wasn't sure when we talked initially, like, okay, well, we have enough to talk about just over this arc, but hey, we're at that 2.30 <laughs> runtime that we usually oh, hit, so yeah. we, we very clearly did. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited to keep reading. Um, thank you, everyone, as always, for yeah. listening. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, yep. hold on, hold on. Matt, who's rocking? Oh, who's rocking this week? Um, I think it's... I well, I think it's it's scientists um, that love their robot yeah. boys because we've got mm. it's it's there's, there's the actually there are and Dr. several Tenma. yeah there are several it's just men who love their robot sons but can't wow. say it that's who's rocking men with robot sons are rocking that's really good I I think that's really good I was also potentially going to put forward Pluto Pluto is rocking Pluto is a tragic figure um every time but i love i love yeah. scientists with robot sons i think yeah scientists a with lot robot sons are, are rocking this week um yeah. the final ranking for me of robots is in descending order um right. best robot bora followed by brando followed by epsilon followed by pluto then north number two then hercules then mont blanc in last place we've got gerhard hmm let's see i think Epsilon, mm-hmm. Pluto, Brando, North Number Two, Mont Blanc, maybe Bora above Mont Blanc. Okay. Bora, Mont Blanc, Hercules, Gerhardt. Okay. Yeah, I only put Hercules I, I as high Brando as I did because of his robot like chair. Yeah, you did. You put Brando okay, up there. He was good. he was pretty high. So, um, yeah, good, good robots. Honestly, I'm Great I'm excited robots. to see how they show up in in Pluto. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, they're really, it's really, really cool stuff, and I cannot wait to talk about Pluto now. Ooh, Can't wait. I'm ready. Ooh. Matt, you're so close to being able to read volume two. Oh, I can read more so soon. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Okay, well, I I think I think that's all there is to it. Um, Matt, do we want to make a Discord? Uh, we can talk about that between yeah. now and the next episode. There might be one. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, maybe. I've I've mentioned this before. I get I get nervous about moderation is the main thing. But hey, yeah. if everyone if everyone listening to this can promise to be cool. Then, God, then, please, then please we will make cool. a Discord. That's Fucking the thing. Scott you Pilgrim gotta be cool. Outside, Listen outside to the me. Band practice. Like, yes. No, seriously. Please be cool. Please be good. And the audience like, is like, "Am I normally? Am I normally not?" And like, I don't <laughs> know you, dude. So I hope so. No. I assume so. But like, please, I cannot deal with that. Oh like, my god. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but if you are cool. I'd love to have it. Yeah, I'd love to talk to people about things. So, yeah, Yeah. that's that's a possibility. Um, All right. Okay, Matt, here's what I want to know. I want to know who you are and where people can find you on the internet. Hey, I'm Matt Fennell. Um, You can find me on Blue Sky (laughs) at mattfennell.bsky.social. It's so funny about that. Uh, Well, no, 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 because we just haven't said it in so long. That's why. Hey, I'm Matt Fennell. 
Um, I'm also on uh, my my blog is blarple.net, b l a r p l e dot net. You Maybe one of on these there? days. Nope, yeah. I haven't posted no. anything on there since February of last year, right. or maybe even February of twenty two. I don't even Very remember cool. at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's I. It definitely was twenty two. Actually, now that I think about it. No. Um, but uh, you can find me on Beeski. I'm I'm posting over there. Uh, yeah. That's 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 where you can find me. Quinn, where can Matt, people find Matt you? Matt does am posting um, oh, i love posting <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do <laughs> hang on i'm just gonna read really quickly this, yeah this yeah is yeah get us a post want. get us a, let's oh, read absolutely i'm let's people. read my last two posts on bski um most recent post january 4 is definitely too early for this year's blade runner 2 rewatch but at the same time dot 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 and then the post before that <laughs> was two days ago at 6 p.m what if i just became a madden guy this year He's good posting. posts over He's at bluesky.com. Good posts. If you're in the need for some posts, if you're in the post market, um, <laughs> check it out. Uh, I'm Quinn. Where can they find you? I'm Quinn. I'm Samuel Quinn Morris. Uh, you can find me on Bsky at 200 Proof Games. I think you can. You can find my TTRPGs at 200proof.itch.io. Um, and that's about. <laughs> sweet uh yeah um good stuff enjoying it and such a pleasure to be to be back at it yeah um, i'm so excited back at it again it's pretty great it's back pretty at fun. it again the Krispy cream absolutely uh and join us in a couple of weeks for getting into pluto proper pluto episode one uh, for the first volume, so grab your copies, make some notes, and get ready to argue with us when you think we're wrong. Um, thank you so much for listening, and, well, I guess you could say, thanks for being a friend. Thanks for being a friend. Thanks for being a friend.